0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. Good
2: morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program Happy days are here again. Hey, uh, great uh, show coming in for you today. We're going to be talking headlines, uh, all of the the great political moves going on, as well as all the Supreme Court decisions with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. He'll be joining us today in studio. We're going to pick his brain, find out uh, politically what impact are all these decisions actually going to have. And is there a political impact of the president singing Amazing Grace? Does that have any political impact? Advantage. What an interesting, actually, I think, beautiful moment as he was um, delivering the eulogy for the South Carolina, one of the South Carolina shooting victims, uh, I think, Reverend Pickney. And um, just powerful to see your president step in and connect spiritually and talk about spiritual values and beliefs. Again, everyone's going to politicize it because they can. But, um, you know, every once in a while you see. I think something special. And I think uh, President Obama delivered it without making it political. There was a really powerful spirit, I think, in that church and a spirit of healing. Holy cow. So, uh, So I'm amazed by what we're seeing going on in South Carolina with just the forgiveness of these families and just goodness, just goodness out of a really horrible, horrible situation. Uh had a wonderful weekend this weekend myself with my family. My son's home from an LDS mission, and that's just way cool. He, uh, After spending two years in northern Mexico, he still can't think straight. He's He thinks in Spanish. And it's basically he can't remember any stories because he can't—his brain doesn't work in English. It's the craziest thing. If I speak Spanish, because I speak Spanish a bit— and if i speak spanish with him he can remember stories if i speak english he just sits there like i don't know like he's had a really bad hangover <laughs> um anyway uh, it was fun to to have him back and uh to just celebrate the the goodness of that that uh, group i also had a date night um where we I, I always have these programs where we invite a bunch of people, hundreds of people show up and we talk about different topics and we talked about technology and again, just to see people that are working on their marriages, it, it, it does a it does you good to know that you people care enough to work on creating a healthier, happier relationship. Tons of stuff going on in the news. We wanna get to it as quick as we can today. Who better to do that than Kathy Aiken on our, in our headlines? Kathy?
3: Good morning, Matt. How are after you? After three weeks on the run, escape killer David Sweat is in a hospital after being shot near the Canadian border. Jay Cook, a 21-year veteran state trooper, saw the man jogging on the side of the road and called out to him. That's when Sweat took off running towards the forest. Knowing Sweat could disappear yet again, Cook fired, hitting him twice in the torso. Here's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo.
4: The nightmare is finally over. It took 22 days. We can now confirm, as you know, Mr. Matt is deceased and the other escapee, Mr. Sweat, is in custody. He's in stable condition.
3: Sweat was treated by medical personnel before being airlifted to a hospital where he was listed in critical condition. On Friday, the second inmate who escaped from the Clinton Correctional Facility was shot and killed. A blaze which sparked yesterday in central Washington is burning out of control. At least 1,000 residents have left their homes in Wenatchee, which is about 120 miles east of Seattle. The wildfire is being fueled by high temperatures and strong winds. So far, at least a dozen structures have been destroyed. Yet another shark attack in North Carolina over the week. A teenager was in serious condition after being attacked on the Outer Banks. That's the sixth shark attack in two weeks and the second in the same area in as many days. The 18-year-old male victim was in critical condition when he first arrived at the hospital, but has since been upgraded. Hundreds of thousands of people across the country packed gay pride events over the weekend, this after the Supreme Court ruled same-sex marriage to be legal in the United States. Meanwhile, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker is urging President Obama and the nation's governor to join him in, quote, reassuring millions of of Americans that that the government will not force them to participate in activities that violate their deeply held religious beliefs. A small private plane crashed into a home in Plainville, Massachusetts, yesterday afternoon, killing all three on board. There were four people in the home at the time, but all were able to get out safely. The flight originated in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The NTSB is launching an investigation. And Matt, a man in southwestern Connecticut is $30,000 richer today. Mm. All because he forgot his glasses (laughs) Bob Sabo didn't want to wait in line to buy a lottery ticket You know, at the stop and shop he was at So he figured he'd just buy one from the lottery's vending machine well, he was supposed to buy two $20 tickets, but since he didn't have his glasses on and couldn't see very well, he accidentally bought a $30 ticket, and that was the winner.
2: Holy cow. Yeah. Oh, that's you, great yeah, to be so blind. Yeah, so the moral
3: of the story, exactly, <laughs> is just go in blind, and you'll win the lottery.
2: Well, I guess that tells you about lotteries. Yes. It's, it's just a crapshoot. It's, it's a crapshoot. Yep. That's that's actually gambling. Um, <laughs> lottery, it's, it's just being blind. That's it's right. It's a blind shot. Yep. Man, but see that's just good luck.
3: Yeah. Oh man. Do but you see, I don't good luck? have no. No, me mm-hmm. neither.
2: I have no luck.
3: You ever put? You know, tried the the uh, machines in Vegas.
2: Yeah. No. The minute Never you mind. land in Vegas, you can yeah. just hear. No. I. I. You know. No. Because you know what? I had a a neighbor once that had a slot machine in his basement. And when we were kids, we were convinced that we figured out how to win every time, and it's just by you put the nickel in your mouth, and then you know, then you put it in the machine, and you'd always win. Well, I just you know, after this all these bacterial infections and (laughs) viruses, I I just realized gambling's not for me. (laughs) It's just not for me. It's not. No, that's that's how the eight year old brain works.
3: Yeah, I've never won a dime, so I figure you know. Just keep the money in my pocket. maybe that's it. it.
2: Maybe that's, you know, if everyone just knew how random it was. Yes. But then we put it on the news. So now every guy that's blind that can hardly see (laughs) is like, hey, I got a shot.
3: I got to go to the vending machine and just push a button and whatever comes (laughs) out of it wins.
2: Now, what was funny is we didn't hear that if he hadn't won, he would have just been out 30 bucks, right? Right. So then he would have been ticked because he didn't have his glasses and he lost 30 bucks. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So
3: just going blind and you never know. You never know. It's as good as being you know, being able to see anyway. So this Might
2: be your lucky day. Lucky day. Well done, Kathy. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff. We are going to be bringing on our experts. As you know, we like to um, talk politics, but we want to bring in a, an expert, somebody that is an insider. So we'll be bringing Joe Cannon in to talk all things supreme Court uh, i want to just find out politically what he thinks the fallout's going to be uh you know after the the decisions on Obamacare and the decisions on uh, the gay rights uh, initiative there also want to find out um if he really thinks this trump thing's going to work because you know what Trump is now number two in the New Hampshire poll donald trump number two in the in the New Hampshire poll. Just lots of interesting stuff going on. Um, And, of course, we're not going to, you know, we're not political experts. Come on. But everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about these Supreme Court decisions. And is it uh, it overreach? Is it the Supreme Court starting to, you know, make policy instead of just, you know, supporting law? We'll get into that uh, more with... uh, all of these topics political with our insider, Joe Cannon, after the break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend show. You know, I don't know if you've heard in the news lately, the Supreme Court's been uh, quite, quite busy uh, making two uh, pretty big decisions. And many would just say, oh, so pro-Obama, the Supreme Court is swinging to the left. And uh, yet decisions they were basically in the position to make. They they had to make the, the, the decision. And one of the things that uh, we really need to figure out, I think, in the country is to what degree are we going to make uh, political decisions and allow the democracy to run forward and, you know, to let the discussions continue and, uh, and create movement via our discussion and our debate and a democratic process? And to what degree are we just going to keep running into stalemate and a lack of movement And a lack of um, action on our political process. So at some point, we can't just hope that we can continue to, you know, not create fair policy, not create fair laws um, without having the Supreme Court have to come in and intervene. For how many years have we been debating the rights of gays 45 years, I think, roughly, actively, and yet we then, and then a Supreme Court decision comes down, and everyone's shocked that we're now making decisions on this stuff. Um, So we wanted to bring in our expert, Joe Cannon's joining us today, and Joe uh, is our Washington insider. He hates to have us talk too much about him being too linked politically or just in, in in the know, but... He's as good as we get on earth here. This is the funny thing about Joe. He's kind of done it all. He's been a chair of the Republican Party in Utah. He was a candidate for U.S. Senate. He served in the administration under Reagan, and he's been an editor of a major newspaper, uh, Deseret News. And... um, He's also right now the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, trying to fight to lower your costs of fuel here in the United States. Joe, thanks for being here, my friend. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I need your help because I, uh, there's a lot of this is all we heard in the news was about the Supreme Court decisions. I mean, that, there's so right. much of that going on. Uh, two decisions came down the Obamacare decision and the uh, same sex marriage decisions. Um, where Where do we stand one of the big one of the big comments I keep hearing is that man, the supreme court's just swinging way left. this is evidence it's left it 's a left leaning court
5: well um you can, you can make a pretty strong argument on those based on those two decisions uh obviously well, one of the decisions was six three the yeah. the obamacare decision and uh that was a case of statutory interpretation yeah. where a lot of people argued that the Supreme Court ignored its own precedent on uh, on how to interpret administrative action that 's way too way yeah. way in the weeds but, for that this. was all
2: about language yeah. right it 's just yeah. what they yeah. thought it meant
5: well uh, yes, yes and no I mean, okay. they thought the, uh, on the face of it it was just a statutory construction uh, uh decision. Some people said, look, the plain language of the act says, no, it doesn't apply to states that opt yeah. out. Uh, other people said, yeah, and it and, and turns out six of the nine said, no, it doesn't matter what that language says. Uh, what matters is what was the intent, the intent of Congress. Of so we're going to find, notwithstanding the plain language here, we're going to say that Congress couldn't have intended this, this outcome, and therefore huh. we're, we're going to... Uh, um uphold the IRS's determination that these uh that that the federal exchanges didn't apply or, or uh, did apply in states interesting but uh you know, I, I think the the court had probably made a decision. You know, one wag, well, not one wag. Uh, Justice Scalia, <laughs> his dissent, said, <laughs> yeah. uh, "I guess we ought to be calling this SCOTUS Care and not Obamacare, since it, it has been the Supreme Court That's, that literally yeah, kept it afloat." Kept it afloat. I mean, to, to, to me, look, look, and I know Justice Robert, Chief Justice Roberts a little bit. Uh, uh, when he decided that. Congress intended for this to be a tax when the plain record said it it wasn't a tax. And uh, then he was saying, okay look, we're going to find a way to respect Congress's intent, Hmm. whatever it takes. And so when you can find a tax where no tax was – not only was no tax intended, it was explicitly argued that this wasn't a tax by by the proponents of the statute. So – Anyway, Ob- Obamacare uh, is is the, the law of the land. Now, it, to, to be fair, it doesn't really change much on the substance. From the Republican side of things, they're saying, look, we always wanted to repeal and replace it anyway. The Supreme Court decision would have helped them, quote, I'm, I'm putting imaginary yeah. quotes around, that would have helped them in the sense that it would have given them an argument. On the other hand, it would have put them in kind of a box to fix or not yeah. fix that? Go to thirty-five thing. states or whatever, yeah. and go fix yeah. that.
2: I mean, some are also saying that um, this was kind of a gift to the Republicans because if they had to go fix it, it would have been chaos and a mess right before an election, and right. it, it probably would have created okay. bigger problems. This kind of
5: takes it off the table, at least as a uh, as, as something that's going to happen in Congress. Yeah, uh, and uh, it, it takes it off the table. Uh, that way, but the the candidates still, it's going to be a central issue. It is and they all all of them have issued statements after mm-hmm. uh, saying that that doesn't change their position. And nobody's saying, oh, you know what? Maybe we should have Obamacare now. No, no Republican candidate is <laughs> saying that.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. it seems like is there? There's always been tension between the judicial branch and the and the um, legislative branch, right? I mean, there's a tension there. There's supposed to be a I mean, it's almost like they're saying, look, write better, cleaner laws. Write, right. write things that aren't going to be coming to us if you want to legislate. Uh,
5: right, yeah. I mean, obviously, the the way the founders set up the our government, three branches of government, each having a check on the other, uh, and it is true. Congress complains mightily about all kinds of administrative actions, but yet they – they are the ones who created yeah. the laws fix it. <laughs> a or yeah. and b they have oversight over those right. laws, so they could they could fix it so they could fix Obamacare tomorrow they could fix uh, lots of things uh, when you complain about the uh, as many do, uh, the rise of the gargantuan administrative state—that yeah. is looking over every aspect of our lives, from the kind of light bulbs we have to how you know what what uh, the capacity of our toilets is—all the, all these are federal, right. Or 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 laws or or uh, uh, administrative actions. Wait, all of that stems from Congress. Congress can change any law it wants. Um, on the other hand, the Supreme Court has has uh, given a lot of discretion to federal agencies, uh, which, by the way, is way too boring for our readers here, but our listeners here. But the uh, uh, a lot of people say that the this deference now went way overboard because the 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 historic standard for judging whether you should have deference in a, an agency is called it's a decision called Chevron, and they just sort of blew. It arguably, blew past that hmm. Chevron analysis because Chevron says if the statute is plain, then there's nothing for the, the court to is. do.
2: Right? Uh, well, it's like a legal contract, yeah, right? If yeah. it's plain, if it's clear.
5: Yeah. So, so it'll be interesting how how Chevron has argued uh, how that's used going down in, the, in the future.
2: Talk yeah. about uh, the gay rights uh, um, decision because it seems like uh, there's the country was already moving in a direction towards uh, being more sympathetic to gay rights, and the country was moving there anyway. And some are arguing that the court then stepped in and basically made a decision on something that in the non-necessarily democratic way, in a judicial way, they stopped the conversation.
5: So whoa. what to say about that decision? Um, First, just interestingly, there's a body of legal scholarship that says that the Supreme Court follows and doesn't lead Uh where the country is on these kind of issues. So even lots of uh, articles – law review articles have been read by by people on the liberal side of things saying that even the the great decision Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954 actually was reflective of where the country was going – uh, and the same could be said right. of a bunch of other decisions. So, the 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 country was clearly moving in is was and is moving in a direction of of approving gay rights. So, at one level, marriage rights. Anyway, at one level, um, the Supreme Court just kind of ratified that movement. What it did, though, is said it, the the people argue is the usurpation is to say this is a decision that really states how to be able to figure out on their own. It's really a legislative type decision. What the what the court did, uh, five just, judges, justice on the Supreme Court said, no, this is a constitutional decision. So they elevated the right of, uh, of gay people to marry as a fundamental right constitutional under, right under the 14th yeah. Amendment of the Constitution. And that is – it's going to be interesting and frankly frightening and scary where that goes because it, that pits – that one fundamental right created right. by the court against another fundamental right, which happened to be the first words in the First Amendment, Religious Congress mm-hmm. shall make no law, uh, uh, you know, bridging uh, uh, the freedom of religion or the f- right to free exercise yeah. thereof, getting the words a little bit mixed up there, but, but it's called the first freedom, and this clearly uh, Tease that up in in the oral argument itself. Justice Alito asked the government's lawyer, the 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 solicitor general representing the United States, how if we decide in favor of gay marriage as a fundamental right, how does that affect? Uh, the Bob Jones kind of analysis. Of, most readers probably never heard of this case, mm-hmm. but there's a case called Bob Jones against the United States. Bob Jones was a Christian university that uh, decided that there couldn't be interracial marriage or interracial dating. And I think it was in the 80s, maybe 82, early to mid-80s, the decision came down by the court saying, no, you're not entitled to a tax exemption because you're discriminating no matter what the reason Hmm. in in this particular case. So it was a religious, in their view, a religiously based reason. I I mean, um, hard to say this case was wrong. But now in light of this decision last week, you're going to say, "Okay, how does this affect religious institutions who – for whom, um, uh, you know, who who have a a moral uh, conscious compunction here saying, no, we we, we can't get there. Yeah.
2: Um, Well, what about just, I guess, the individual right to not have to be a part of it, to not have to perform the wedding, to not – and to have their own right to conscience conscience, and say they don't want to be a part of that.
5: Yeah. So – I think uh, that's going to be pretty easily disposed of, saying, "Look, it's the law. If you if you don't like it, you don't have to have that job." I, mean, there are, I, I don't think it's going to go too far there. I think where the real threat going is to going to, to be institutionally. Uh, what do you do with it? Is now the is now the biblical teaching on homosexuality is that unlawful to talk about? Is it unlawful for? Uh, Brigham Young University or Notre Dame or yeah. or other religious universities to say, you know, we have an honor code that says you have to adopt uh, the moral standard of, of a given church. And that's right. Lots of colleges have that. It's well, if, yeah, especially if
2: these students are receiving financial aid, government support, or anything like that. I mean, Right, right. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. So, it's so that interesting... setting
5: up that class, I mean, it, it, I don't know the outcome, by the way. Yeah, the, no. the court could decide, okay, uh they made it harder, by by def- they they could have in this decision said gays have the right to marry and states have to yeah. do it without making it a fundamental right under the Constitution. That would have made the future analysis, ladies, all of the justices. I haven't read, finished reading the, all the opinions yet, but but even the justices in the minority, majority mentioned, noted, hey, this their religious. Uh, uh, ramifications here, and we need to worry about that. Oh, interesting! So they're already
2: anticipating that.
3: Of course, we but cannot not anticipate. But this. How,
2: in the end, though, you know that that's done. The law's the law now, right?
5: Um, it is. But we've seen the court do. Uh, amazing gymnastics on, <laughs> on lots of different case. issues. They'll just use the next and, case, and to... so so I think they decided not to decide the religious, and then and that issue wasn't presented in, yeah. in the case anyway. So so the, the 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 religious liberty
2: implications of this are yet to be. Uh, Seen and felt. Well, let's take a break. We're talking again with uh, with Joe Cannon, our insider, our Washington insider. When we come back, I want to continue the discussion about the Supreme Court decisions, but find out politically what's the impact going to be. We're also going to play a clip from Ted Cruz, who he's he's not having this. He's He's frustrated. He's now calling for judicial retention elections for Supreme Court justices. I want to uh, get Joe's take on that. We'll be back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend show, in the house with us today, our Washington insider Joe Cannon. Uh, he's the CEO of the web of the company Fuel Freedom Foundation, but is just uh, very networked uh, back in the political world in DC. Has a lot of friends, let's just say. And um, but go check out his website, Fuel Freedom Foundation. It's a great uh, resource. It's trying to lower the cost of fuel for the people in the United States so that you can drive your current car in a more affordable way. Um but Joe's with us and we're talking about Supreme Court uh decisions. One of the things I I I really want us to talk about Joe is teach us um I mean you're a lawyer not to not yeah. to demean you. <laughs> but as Rex <Rexley> Lee <laughs> said uh uh one of the solicitor why, why,
5: generals. Why should uh, – yeah, former solicitor general of the United States said, uh, I don't understand why uh, uh, fifty or 60,000 bad apples spoil the
2: whole bunch. I don't, <laughs> I don't
5: understand that.
2: <laughs> I think he's on to something there. Um, uh, democracy, it seems like the movement, the, the gay uh, rights movement – that's just weird. The gay marriage movement, the same-sex marriage movement – was gaining ground. It seems as a, as a democracy, as culture, people were understanding it more. They were maybe buying into it more. It was gaining ground. I know that there were still 30-plus states that had, I guess, state amendments that were opposing gay marriage or same-sex marriage. But why why wouldn't a court just allow it? to be decided by the people, because it seems like once the people are moving that way, it's better to let the people move that way than make a mandate from a court that then the states might be fighting against for years, a la the abortion Roe v. Wade. Well, wow.
5: That's a huge... It's a huge discussion. I, I would just say what this decision is, is the ending point, well, um, it, it's it's the logical conclusion of a line of cases that began in 1962, starting with Griswold versus the United States, where the Supreme Court invalidated a Connecticut statute prohibiting the sale of birth control. Now remember, this is 1962. Mm-hmm. Birth control was only – pills were only approved by the FDA in 1959. So Three years early later. on – there, there were a bunch of uh, statutes that pro- pro- prohibited birth control and prohibited abortion, for that matter. So Griswold was the was the father or mother of these of a whole line of cases, which include the abortion cases, which include the sodomy cases. There are a whole bunch of cases where the Supreme Court has followed this line of thinking, not without contention. I mean, lots of these decisions are five four decisions, but. But um this is the logical end. I'm not agreeing with it I don't, yeah, no. don't agree with it in fact, but it's the logical end of Griswold, so th- this decision is the end is the logical so um you know it's wh- what it is though now is it's teeing up, as I said mm-hmm. earlier, a very different kind of an argument uh, and, and it'll be
2: but it's going to impact the state's desire to even be in the marriage business. It might impact religious well, it's, organizations. It's
5: already starting. I mean, the, the attorney general of the state of Texas said – county clerks who have a have a religious objection don't have to issue these licenses well that's going to be that case is going to go that case that's gonna, now, yeah. a case like it is going to go to the court and the court is going to start defining the boundaries of religious liberty versus same sex marriage liberty uh, now that that's been sticky uh, deemed to be a wow. fundamental right so it um Does this
2: does does. um, So Ted Cruz, a lot of the GOP candidates and now everybody has to respond to this and they're all responding in their their variety of ways. Ted Cruz, he's he's ticked, (laughs) he's torqued and he's um, we have a clip by Ted Cruz. Listen to this. And I want to hear your response.
6: If those justices want to become legislators, I invite them to resign and run for office. That's the appropriate place to write laws on this floor.
2: He thinks they're they're just, you know, a judicial legislator now. Well, um In both, you, in both of can, the cases, can, right? Obama. You can make and... a pretty
5: strong argument, not just in these two cases, but many cases in the past, that the Supreme Court is at least a quasi legislative body. That's 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 a fact. I mean, that's that's a fact that people believe that, that that there are a lot of things they have quote legislated on, you know. The court would say no, we didn't. We found under the Fourteenth Amendment of the United States Constitution that that this is a fundamental right. Um, so, yeah, no, no, I, I've heard Ted Cruz speak on this. He's actually raised some some other possibilities. You know, the the the, the one of the checks and balances is that Congress—this will never happen, by the right. way. Uh, I'm just going to—I'm only Get stating out, this because this, is an, it's idea. A, this yeah. is an idea that Ted Cruz has mentioned, but it's it's rooted in the fact that the Congress could actually determine the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. Congress could pass a law saying the Supreme Court doesn't have jurisdiction over this kind of a case, some kind of <laughs> yeah. a case, you know, make it up. But uh, so that's a tool yeah. in Congress's is, But tool. as long okay. as
2: half of the Congress is winning with every judicial decision— It'll right. Never that's happen, it, that's right? never going to happen. And isn't there a – const- in the Constitution, you can't – they're not – Supreme Court justices aren't elected. No. So, and, so no, part no, of his desire no, to have a retention election no, is just no,
5: the, the notion of appointment by for life is actually mm-hmm. uh, w- thought to be a safeguard uh, by the founders saying, yeah. look, uh, um, we don't want them subject to political pressure and we don't.
2: Do you, do you think there will be any backlash? Uh, there's some talk that uh, Jeb Bush will, might have some backlash because his brother appointed some of these justices, and it's now – they're not – Justice Roberts, I believe. They're not quite going the direction.
5: Well, it depends on the issue, you know, ju- justice and in, in – the- in some people's mind, Justice Roberts made the right decision on uh-huh. on same sex marriage and the wrong decision on uh obamacare. on on the obamacare i you know
2: that's a pretty uh, you have to be a pretty savvy politician or a political junkie to
5: i th- i think what jeb Bush said was uh he has enormous i know don't think i heard him say he has enormous respect for chief justice roberts uh, he's, a, he's a man of great integrity uh-huh. and uh he's, he's, a, he's a, very decent uh, person uh, so he's not going to be criticizing the court for that reason what what he, what he, what I think I think the tone that most Republican candidates are going to take Ted Cruz to the contrary notwithstanding yeah. is, is basically look the law is the law we respect the law of the land now let's just figure out what is going to happen with religious liberty because that's the core issue here. I, I think lots and lots of people don't really care whether yeah. gay people get married or not. They do care whether they have that impinges right. on on uh, on the rights of the vast, vast, seventy percent of people mm-hmm. in America who identify as Christian, not to mention Orthodox Jews and and uh, Muslims, Muslims and others. So. So I, th- I think the way most of the candidates have teed it up is, look, it's the law. Uh, we respect the law. We respect these individuals. But yeah. be very, very careful about the intersection of this decision
2: that's it, and huh? religious liberty. It seems like if, if people had the, the same confidence that the justices – and that's why I guess we need the cases to, to see it. If they'll respect you know, religious liberties to the degrees they respected these other rights – if if they had that confidence, then we you know this might this might be okay.
5: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, what do a, you? A lot ahead. of people don't have that confidence. No, that's the but, problem. I guess, well, I guess part of that is we just haven't had the cases recently. Have well, we?
5: the, 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 it's often said, you know, the
2: the, well, the Hobby Lobby that tipped things you upside had, down. You, no,
5: you have you have. I mentioned the whole line of cases beginning with Griswold. Yeah, uh, there's also a whole line of religious liberty cases, many of which were decided nine zero. Oh, Even in wow. this administration. Against this administration, this court on on a number of issues has gone nine oh not on hobby lobby yeah, right? yeah. but uh, but a number of other uh, uh, religious liberty cases so you have a whole that 's why why this is so fascinating as a, as a lawyer you 've got two well multiple chains of cases uh-huh. uh, the, the Supreme Court is governed by precedent, and so uh, you you look back you can see a logical pathway for most of their decisions. And so you can take take a religious liberty case. There are plenty of cases. The Bob Jones case I mentioned was a big exception to that whole whole
2: uh, uh, chain of cases on on religious liberty. Does um, does this do do these decisions uh, favor any party over another?
5: the religious liberty ones uh-huh.
2: um, well, or, or no actually the 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 gay rights same sex marriage case or this the um, obamacare you mean you mean favor a political party yeah like, uh, mean, well, do, do the liberals yeah. gain anything do the do the democrats gain anything in this well, next the election the democrats obviously
5: gained a lot on the obamacare decision on the same sex marriage decision sure uh, the five just four of the justices were appointed by Democrat presidents and one was appointed by H.W. Bush, by the way. Oh, yeah. Kennedy That's was right. appointed by, by Jeb's father. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean it, generally the, there's, there's a partisan divide on the court and it reflects, a, it, it reflects a, the, the differences in philosophy yeah. between the Democrats and Republicans on a lot of different issues.
2: What uh, What is your take? Did you get to see um, President Obama at the funeral? So
5: you know, I was traveling during most of the funeral. When I landed, I, I saw, I heard, I listened to on
2: the on the radio. Yeah. It was amazing. It was, I mean, to just see your president in that human of an experience is 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 really, to me, pretty no, profound. It, it
5: sounded a lot like a minister, yeah. which which presidents often do in in those kind of national tragedies. They, we, I mean, it's you, you can't. Undo the religious mm. his, history of our country. I mean, uh, actually, one one philosopher said, you know, uh, America did not create religious liberty. Religious liberty created America. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, in these times of crisis, all presidents, regardless of what they do in other aspects of their administrations, they revert to— the the basic religious instinct of our yeah. country.
2: Yeah, to Talk to uh, just in our last couple minutes. So, you know, a certain amount of people, whatever fifty percent, whatever the numbers are, they are they're struggling with these decisions. They don't they don't like them. They're afraid of them. They don't get them. They're not sure religious liberty is going to be there. They don't necessarily oppose gay rights. They they're not anti gay. They just didn't see the need for some of these what do you say as somebody that has some context politically is it are we okay i mean is this just democracy in action is this just how it works you win some you lose some or or should we really or should these people that are so afraid that it's just leaning too far left what what should their stance be what should their take be or their takeaway from all of this be you know i don't know I
5: – my own personal view is on, on the gay issue. I I have many gay friends and I, I'm happy for them. I'm mm-hmm. happy for what – the choices they want to make in life. That, that's fine. Uh, I guess my fear and my fear – Deep in the pit of my stomach is I do not have a, f- a good feeling of assurance going forward. I have a, I have a feeling that that it's more likely that these religious liberty this intersection between religious liberty and same-sex marriage right is going to end up in more Bob Jones type decisions ah. than not. That's what I that's my fear. Now the court is, is is amazingly agile in its ability to to do things, and I think they recognize that might be a bridge too far. But I don't know how that will come out so no i i'm uh, i i'm nervous about what the future is if if you care a lot about religious liberty and i do mm-hmm. uh, i you know it's the first it's known as the first freedom and it is the first freedom and every founder rooted their beliefs even thomas jefferson in a religious god-centered world view and now that's just another choice yeah. and when that's just another choice um it could it could have very dangerous ramifications for lots of people who are believers.
2: Well, and when you have so many people now, or so so few that are believing, and so many falling away from having any religious beliefs, that may even
5: maybe. Uh, I mean, it, may, it just may make yeah. it less of an issue
2: that yeah. people worry about.
5: For for some people, yeah, that, that's true, but. Uh, there's still a strong we are still the most religious country mm-hmm. of the western democracies we are still by a long way by every poll that comes out the pew that uh, does a series of polls all the time yeah we are slightly declining we've gone from like 73 to 71 uh, or 74 yeah. to 70 but it's still up there you know uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, belief in god it's well, even it's more than that. In terms of belief in God, it's in the '90s uh-huh. still. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, whether you identify with a particular religion mm-hmm. uh, as a Christian or not. That's in the '70s, I yeah. think. Uh,
2: so well, that's why I think yeah. it's a fascinating weekend because you have this incredible religious revival in the South Carolina funeral <laughs> where our president's leading it, and then uh, the right, the gay rights marriage decision, which and for some that those are. Juxtaposed, opposite kind of views, and yet seemingly go together in love, and yet I mean, it's just it's it's such an interesting time to be.
5: Yeah, no, it is. alive, no.
2: alive, no. and a believer, and um well, we appreciate you. Any anything we need to be watching for that we're not paying attention to in the news? Hope the demise of Donald Trump, it, it, pl- the political demise of Donald Trump, because he's number, but he's number two in New Hampshire. How did that happen? <sighs>
5: Uh, Just name
2: recognition, and...
5: name name ID. Uh, uh, New Hampshire is is, uh, <laughs> is is wonderfully, in the old and olden sense, wonderfully movable. Uh, well, not movable. <laughs> okay. Contrary, okay. You, you know, mean, go Bernie against... Sanders is climbing up. Oh, you know, <laughs> fast uh, against Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire. You, you, you know. New Hampshire is
2: an interesting state politically. <laughs> That's great. Well, okay, so we'll be watching for the the demise of Donald Trump.
5: And John Kasich is going to announce in a couple yeah, of weeks. Maybe I wish weeks, he'd yeah.
2: get in just because I, I'm fascinated to see him start yeah. playing it and moving up the ladder. Joe, we appreciate you. Again, everybody, go check out uh, uh, fuelfreedom.org. That's Joe's organization trying to lower your cost of fuel here in the United States good stuff. Joe's a great guy and and our Washington insider. We'll take a break, come back uh, wrap this segment up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's a, it's an interesting, I think, debate for everybody. Um, and the, to me, I whenever I see this debate or any debate like this going on with uh, same-sex marriage, one of the one of the things I think we always have to hold in um, in check here is this idea of dichotomizing. What we tend to do when we make an argument is we go either or, right? We make it either it's right or it's wrong. Either they're good or they're bad. Either America's better or worse because of every situation, every idea. Dichotomizing is a pretty typical thing that we as humans do. It's how our brains work. You know, we like two choices, A or B, one or two, good or bad, black or white. The The problem with it is none of our lives are that clean, Um. So one of the rules I would just suggest, as you're trying to process your feelings about uh, gay rights, you can love the gay people in your life and, and recognize their children of God and understand them and love them and appreciate them and care for them and believe that they should have all of the rights in the world. And uh, still hold your views about marriage sacred and still even feel like, uh, God had defined it between a man and a woman and still love a gay person. Um, those can go together. And so many people that are believers, they what we do, though, is we don't come off sounding like we're loving and God, godly people because we're angry and we're scared and mean to minority people. So, in the end, we've got to figure out a way to still be loving and caring and accepting of children of God, and still be able to hold your belief. That is what Joe was talking about, where we should give rights that are that are real, reasonable, due rights to people with the same sex attraction, and still be able to have my religious beliefs about what I believe my God says is right, and how I believe God-defined marriage. And if we can do that in our country, we have created something pretty powerful. The nature, though, of man is to probably swing the other way. And that's why all the people that are more religious are afraid that the swinging is going to go swing against religious beliefs and values. And then what will happen is they, too, will be seen as not as just mean people that beat up minorities, and eventually religious people will become the minority. That's the fear. So can we all just get along? And love is a great principle, and it is a great principle of acceptance and and forgiveness, and so are the minority beliefs and your religious beliefs, and I believe they can go together. And I don't know that the Supreme Court should be making all the decisions. I think we need to, as a population, make these decisions as well. Folks, that's the hour number one, Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. Come back next hour. More fun, more ideas to help you find the good in the world.
1: We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good
2: morning everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the tools, what you need to get through life. And, uh, you know, we're all born. We don't have a handbook. We got to figure it out. And we're here to just give you the information you need. And not perfect, but, you know, fun, interesting stuff. Uh, Today, we'll be talking about toxic friendships. Do you have a friendship with somebody that just leaves you empty? Every time. Every time they come over. Every time you do something with them. You might think you're going to go have a great, you know, walk or a lunch with them or something, and they don't even show up half the time. But you still keep going and trying, and you keep investing and investing and investing, but it never seems to turn out to your benefit. Well, today we are going to be talking about toxic friends and, A, what you're supposed to do with them. How do you detect if you're in a toxic relationship? And uh, what are you supposed to do? Do you just break those relationships off? Can you just end a relationship with somebody? Well, And if it's toxic, you would be like, oh, yeah, you for sure need to end that. But how do you even know if it's toxic? Well, you would know because you're just – you're always angry and you have a lot of frustration and – well, yeah. But if this has been your friend or if this is one of your only friends, how do you peacefully end a bad relationship? We'll be talking with Suzanne Deggs-White about this. Uh, She's written the book on it. A book called Toxic Relationships and or Toxic Friendships Knowing the Rules and Dealing with the Friends Who Break Them. And she'll be joining us a little bit later to walk us through that. Just so much going on in the country. It's a, such an interesting weekend when you think about um, just all of the headlines from the Supreme Court, when you think about South Carolina and our President Obama and uh, his eulogy delivery. I mean, there's times you got to go listen. You really have got to go track down that his eulogy. Um because a it if if anybody didn't think Obama was a Christian, um just go listen to it. He you know, he went pastor on us, which a lot of politicians do, but um I I think you'll see he gets he gets he gets the idea the concept of grace and god and he he gets it now whatever your political views are everybody's going to have a political view of president obama by now but to me it was a pretty big moment because a lot of times presidents in their sixth term or sixth year are starting to fade and they're exhausted and they're losing power but uh man if you just go listen to that you might get some new energy from your president and wonder, hey, where was that guy? Also, I'm amazed how chummy uh, Obama is today with with Boehner. And I mean, John Boehner got on the White House, the Air Force One, and hitched a ride for the first time with President Obama. What is going on? Friendships—they're no longer toxic. Now, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I know Boehner's been supposedly supporting the trade deals with President Obama, and maybe they're becoming chummy. Maybe this is the beginning of, uh, of a better couple of years or a better year and a half for um, our political world. I don't know. You know, I don't want to build it into something that it's not. But, man, there's some weird stuff going on in Washington. Lots of chummy relationships, especially on the trade deal. And people hitching rides, finally. First time president or uh, John Boehner's been asked to, to fly on Air Force One. That's a big deal. Um, and then just... Seeing our president seeing Amazing Grace and it's powerful. So, anyway, if you if you know if you're in a situation where you've had toxic relationships, stick with us. We wish President Obama and John Boehner would as well. Stick with us because we'll be talking toxic relationships in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's go to Kathy Aiken and.
3: Matt, New York State Trooper Jay Cook is being called a hero after shooting David Sweat, the prison escapee, yesterday near the Canadian border. The extensive manhunt came to an end when Cook saw Sweat jogging on the side of the road. Once Sweat took off, Cook fired, hitting him twice in the torso. Sweat's mother, Pamela, spoke out after her son's arrest.
4: Mr. Sweat was spotted by a New York State police sergeant. The Sweat fled. The trooper was unable to catch him on foot. THE SERGEANT DECIDED TO DISCHARGE HIS WEAPON, HITTING MR. SWEAT TWICE IN THE TORSO, AND MR. SWEAT IS NOW IN HOSPITAL IN STABLE CONDITION.
3: That was New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Sweat escaped along with Richard Matt over three weeks ago. Matt was shot and killed on Friday. A sixth shark attack in two weeks took place in North Carolina over the weekend. An 18-year-old male was attacked on the Outer Banks, the second attack in as many days in the same area. The victim is listed in serious condition. Meanwhile, some experts say the rise in attacks could be due to shark fishing nearby, which is legal in North Carolina. Others say the number is the fact it's simply summer and more people are in the Water. A blaze which was sparked yesterday in central Washington is burning out of control. The Sleepy Hollow Fire in Wenatch- Wenatchee burned nearly 1,800 acres and destroyed at least a dozen structures. Evacuation orders were given to residents of nearly 80 homes in the fire's path. The fire is being fueled by high winds and high temperatures. Wenatchee is about 120 miles east of Seattle. A small private plane crashed into a home in Plainville, Massachusetts yesterday afternoon, killing all three on board. There were four people in the home of the time, but all were able to get out safely. The flight originated in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Homeland Security asking Americans to remain vigilant during the upcoming 4th of July celebrations. Representative Mike McCall, chairman of the House Committee on Homeland Security, is warning Americans about homegrown terror threats, especially following three separate attacks by ISIS on three continents recently. McCall's concern is the use of Internet recruiting in the United States. And Matt, are you planning on a road trip this summer? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Where are you going?
2: Uh, I'm going to – well, we're going to Colorado. Okay. And then I'm going to go eventually to Nauvoo, Illinois.
3: Oh, that would be wonderful.
2: I, I would love to go there. But in August, which is supposedly a sweat fest –
3: very humid. That time, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Well, a list of the best and worst states for summer road trips is out. Oh boy. So, okay, here we go. Yeah. According to Wallet Hub, they compared the fifty states on three criteria driving and lodging costs, road conditions and safety, and fun and scenic attractions. Hmm. Okay, we'll go through the top yeah. ten real quick. Top 10. Okay. ten, Idaho, nine, North Carolina, eight, Colorado. So there you go. Yeah, I'm gonna hit seven, that. Wyoming, six, Utah, five, <gasps> wow. Ohio, four, wow. Washington, three, Minnesota. Number two, Nevada. And number one, Oregon. Really? Yeah. Would you have picked that? Oregon coast is beautiful. But did
2: you notice a lot of those are the west coast, yeah, western yeah. states. Yep. Why is that? Hmm. Okay. Let's
3: see. Number 50. Let's go down so, bottom up. Yeah, bottom, Connecticut. Yeah, not so good. Yeah, that's hard. So Illinois, you said, was the other one. Let's see yeah. if I can find Illinois here really quickly. That's probably... California's number 20. That kind of huh. surprised me it was down that low. Uh, Connecticut, North Dakota, 49. Where is Illinois in here? Why can't I see it? It's probably there. We go twenty-five. There we Number go Number twenty-five. That's so not bad. too bad. Yeah, That's you're right in not the bad. middle there. So Somebody, yeah, pretty much, my whole
2: trip is in the top ten.
3: There you go. <laughs> what
2: uh, What are some more bottom states? The bottom.
3: Okay, forty-eight Delaware. So we're going up Mississippi, South Dakota, Hmm. Oklahoma, Arkansas, Rhode Island, Michigan, New Jersey, Montana, Wisconsin, Kansas, West Virginia, Alaska. I'd love to see Alaska.
2: I've been there. Did you love it? Yeah. Yeah. Was it a
3: cruise? Did you go on a cruise? uh,
2: No, I flew in. I worked there and flew in. I've been there two or three times, but oh, amazing. Mm. Beautiful. Yukon, Alaska. It was amazing. Mm,
3: Beautiful. Yeah. So there you go. So number one is Oregon.
2: Um, You know, the hardest road trip for me was when I drove to Hawaii.
3: That would be hard. You
2: know, it was the first 30 feet. (laughs) Once you get past the first 30 feet.
3: So your car was on a cargo ship, I take it. You just sat in your car the whole way. Just
2: sat there. Yeah. Eating, yeah, my box lunch. (laughs) For seventeen days, that would have days. been a long trip. Um, are you going on a road trip?
3: No, we already took our, our vacation since uh, our son uh, was going on a mission yeah. as well, and so we had to get ours done in uh, May. Went to Newport Beach. Oh, that's, that's our favorite. Yeah, we love Newport Beach, so we go there all the time.
2: Well, we'll have to talk because I a love Newport Beach, but I want to um, I want to figure out the good life there because there's certain things when we go to Newport Beach. We we end up just driving to L.A. All day, every day.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, really To yeah. D- L.A. Yeah,
3: we used to go to Laguna. Actually, we started in Capistrano Beach. Okay. Then we headed to Laguna, and now it's Newport. Yeah, we've got had the I had the best pizza. I've I'm I'm a pizza lover. Are you had the best pizza in Newport Beach? Um, don't ask me the name because I've forgotten it. <sighs> uh But it was awesome. I'll look it up. I'll look uh, it up where, for where you. Where do you stay? We stayed just on it, right on the beach, a beach a beach house, a beach right house. on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. See,
2: okay, I want to do that.
3: Oh, love it! That's that's. But by then we don't. Do not vacation. go into
2: L.A. Like we never, then drive up into L.A. Never. and we go see all of the. Sometimes sides. we'll go to a
3: game. Like yeah, we uh, we'll to, go, yeah, to go to a an Dodger game Anaheim or we've game. gone to a, yeah, an, yeah Angel's game. But uh, no, no, we'd like to <laughs> stay like, away from no. the traffic. Do you go to Disneyland. We'll stay on. Uh, we we actually went to California Adventures. We did that instead that's cool. of Disneyland. That yeah, yeah. we had a great time. Yeah, but we oh, stay, man. peace you know Pacific Coast Highway. That's pretty much all Have, we want to. Have you taken
2: your kids on like? The whole Grand Canyon thing. Never. Have you done it? know we don't do that. You know,
3: and if we've tried other ideas. And our kids, it's just the beach. They love the beach, and they, they want, every time it's like, come on, let's Sweet. go to. I'd love to go to Mount Rushmore, but yeah, they have yeah. no desire to do that.
2: Well, we actually could go to Mount Rushmore on this trip to Illinois, but then everyone's like.
3: Eh. I just, think it'd be great.
2: But the Dakotas weren't in the top no, 10 list. They were no, in the wasn't. lower. No, That
3: was down. Actually, North Dakota was 49 and South Dakota was 46. Yeah. yeah so maybe that's kind of a road a, less traveled. Yeah, probably should stay away, I guess. Oh. I don't know. I'd love to go, but, you know, you know I'm what? done for let's the just year.
2: Send, let's just Let's send Ben.
3: Okay, Ben. Check it out and tell us. I'll scout it out for you. Yeah. yeah. Let's
2: yeah. ask Don if you can go on a road trip.
3: Tell us if Mount Rushmore was worth it or not.
2: <laughs> Take some pictures. <laughs> Send them back in. Good job. Good job, Kathy. We are going to be taking a break when we come back. We'll be joined by Suzanne Deggs White, who is uh, she's our our expert on toxic friendships. She wrote the book called Toxic Friendships. Knowing the rules and dealing with friends who break them, how do you how do you not get sucked into a bad toxic relationship? And if you have been pulled into it, how do you get out? And how do you know when it's time to let a friend go? We'll be talking with the expert, psychology today, blogger uh, and therapist, Suzanne Deggs-White. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, hopefully we don't have a toxic relationship. We're going to find out about toxic relationships uh, coming up next. You know, an example of that might be if you've ever had an unpleasant experience of a friend canceling plans that you've been looking forward to for a long time. Have you ever had that happen? It happens to the best of us. And sometimes we're even the perpetrators of canceled dinner appointments. But when is is a cancellation just one time too many? How many times does a friend need to take advantage of you or just leave you out to hang in the wind before it's just time for you to give up on the friendship? Our next guest, Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White, has recently published a book called Toxic Friendships, Knowing the Rules and Dealing with the Friends Who Break Them. She joins us now live to help us sort through these types of relationships. Dr. Deggs-White, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Thank you so much, Matt. I'm so glad to have this opportunity to share with you and your listeners. It's
2: so good to have you back. We we love what you do. You're a blogger on Psychology Today, which is where we initially found you, but then you just came out with the book Toxic Friendships. How old? When did the book come out?
0: The book just came out a week ago, actually. It's just now available for readers to pick up a copy.
2: (laughs) This is it. And you know what, though, Suzanne? I think you're really... You've got it here because you you teach, uh, at least in what I've read so far in the in your article on psychology today, that um, a toxic we kind of use the financial medical metaphor an economic metaphor when it comes to relationships. There's it's like it's like money, right? It's like right. an economic model. Teach us what you mean by that.
0: Well, you know, relationships are really investment opportunities. Most of us don't realize just how economic the, the economic scenario that's at play for us until we begin to realize that we're putting in more to a relationship than is being returned to us. So it's kind of this idea of fair play. And just a moment ago I heard a story um, on hold about the infants who saw People eating foods they dislike yeah. was interesting because even as young as infants, we assume certain things are equal to certain things. It's almost like mathematical principles and relationships are built into us from the get-go. Huh.
2: So really, it's it's a natural. It's kind of a, an ROI. We want to return on our investment. We want to invest in people and relationships, but we want the we want to return on the investment. We, we want to, it, We want right. it to grow.
0: Yeah. Some of us have a higher tolerance for investing, investing, investing. Some of us will go for the the long shot case, but most of us assume somewhere along the way, we're going to realize a return, a positive return on our investment, that when we need a friend, that friend will be there.
2: Mm. And now it seems like in the extremes, they tend to be, right? So in an accident, when I need to come pick me up at the emergency room, even kind of the worst friend might get that idea.
0: They do. It's, it's funny. It's like when we're in elevators, if they get stuck, then suddenly we're having these deep, intimate conversations yeah. about the meaning of our lives with these strangers. It's because at crisis moments, there's a different, it seems a different part of the brain kicks in that allows us to bond a lot quicker, because the bond has to do with life or death versus you know bonding over a cup of coffee mm. or kvetching about your job with friends at the office. It's, so it's almost as if there's kind of a survival mechanism at play where we are able to overcome, you know, kind of personal differences because we realize that the investment we make in another friend getting the help they need may make a, a larger difference to the world.
2: Is, uh, but there is a difference between just kind of these highly intense moments where people are strong, but it seems like overall we want a constant friend. We want somebody that is kind of the day-in, day-out investment.
0: Right, yeah. And it's true. We have there's kind of people split friends up into several different categories. One friend, one category is the activity friend. We go to Zumba, we go play golf. We want someone that's going to be there for us to to enjoy those activities. We might have convenience friends. If we need someone to pick up a carton of milk for us and it's our neighbor, mm. they might be a friend of convenience. When we need something or if we're – the know, talker
2: friend that will just – or the listener friend.
0: Yeah, that, that'll listen to us or the person you buy coffee from at Starbucks every morning or um, – or caribou, depending on what part of the country you're in. Yeah,
2: yeah, caribou. <laughs> yeah, where that, that, your that friend percent. that you buy your caribou from. Yeah, right.
0: it's it's a friend of convenience. But then there are the intimate friends, and those are the ones that we need, who will take us as we are who will put up with our flaws, who loves us in spite of our flaws, because of our flaws. And it can be a bond as important to us as, you know, a primary romantic relationship. Hmm. We need people who, you know, where we can let down our guards and just honestly be ourselves and expect positive regard in return.
2: You know, I think we've talked about this before, Suzanne, um, because are there some people that just don't have as many friends? They have their spouse... Yeah. And they have their work associates, and but they yeah. just don't have friends?
0: They just don't have friends. You know, there's some of us who have a million friends. We might be the social butterfly in a group. Yeah. And we might flit all over town. Then some of us are more like a grasshopper who kind of looks at friends, you know, as as wise investments and kind of stores them up for when we need them. And then there's kind of the lobster friend who just maybe needs one or two friends. Hmm. And research shows as we age, as long as we have at least some social connections, whether it's one friend or a hundred friends we are going to be happier and live longer with having that social connection.
2: Yeah. And so you are, need you, we we need to have some type of sociality.
0: Right, right. And a best friend, you know when I interviewed for the friends forever book, a lot of best friends are someone's husband um or their wife. Whatever it's that and that can be the primary friendship and primary romantic relationship as long as, you know, that satisfies people that that works really well. Research also showed that in old age, as long as we have someone we can call our best friend, whether it is a spouse or whether it is another person, then that's even double protection. Hmm. So that the role of social connection really is what keeps us happy and alive and moving through life in, in a manner that is um, more, much more rewarding than living alone and yeah. being the curmudgeon that has no friends. Yeah,
2: that's right. Well, in fact, BYU just did a study on... Uh, on social isolation or uh, feeling lonely and right. one of the things they found is it's the equivalent of like smoking if you feel lonely or if you are socially isolated uh-huh. it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day
0: Wow or wow. being
2: obese on oh. your health
0: oh wow so it's, it's, it's
2: huge. huge yeah yeah now but you also you're you also realize that some friendships because you wrote the book on it end up being toxic to us talk about that
0: I, I friendship i always think there are a couple of litmus tests we can use you know first off if you begin to wonder about a friendship that's kind of a clue yeah. you know if you feel like i'm giving and they're not returning in in relationships, we have that balance sheet when we first begin a relationship. You know, you'll do something for me, I'll do something for you, and we kind of make sure there's that, that equivalent giving, and there's also self-disclosure. Well, eventually, the whole need to keep a balance sheet fades away because we know, I know, Matt, you're going to do something for me when I need it because you've proven that to me in the past. Right. But if the balance sheet comes back up again in the relationship, if I even start tallying in my head what a relationship is giving me, that's a warning sign that I'm not happy with that relationship. That's true, huh? And that, so that's one way. Another way to kind of measure is a friendship turning toxic. Do you feel better or worse after being with that person? You know, some people, you know, will bring us down and they rely on us to kind of buoy them up. But after a while, when we're kind of tired of being the one who buoys someone up and we're feeling worse ourselves, that's another sign that the relationship has turned sour and we might need to do something about it.
2: And that, and that could be better that, – that's better about yourself. Or no. yeah, better about your esteem, your identity. Yeah, I mean, all, in a yeah, lot of yeah, things. Yeah, all of
0: that. You know, yeah. So you, you know, my kind of little catchphrase. It's not you, it's not me, it's the relationship. Hmm. Sometimes in relationships, maybe I don't really like to go shopping and, and spend money, but when I'm with a certain friend, maybe she loves to shop till she drops, and I end up you know owing up to the limit on my yeah. credit card because she likes to shop and I like to be with her. Um, and then that's that is where a relationship, you know, where you kind of have to say, you know, what we're doing together isn't working for me or I'm driving my partner crazy because I'm spending all the money he earns during the week. And you might need to kind of step back and, and say, maybe we need to change the things we do. That's kind of where yeah. that's that intervention that sometimes can be successful when when you're feeling bad about the choices you make or you feel about yourself or how you be, feel about who you are with that person. And that's a really strong symptom of a toxic relationship.
2: Interesting. We're talking again with Suzanne Degg's White, author of the book Toxic Friendships: Knowing the Rules and Dealing with the Friends Who Break Them. We're going to take a break. Come back and continue to uh, pick Suzanne's brain about w- what else. What else makes a toxic relationship, and what are we supposed to do? How do we. How do we actually figure out when it's time to let a friend go, and how do we go about doing that? How to peacefully end a bad friendship. More with Suzanne Deggs-White right here on the Matt Townsend Show. The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking toxic relationships, toxic friendships. You know, we've all had one somewhere. We thought they were our best friend. They stabbed us in the back. We felt these nudges or promptings that we didn't like who we were becoming with this person. We needed to figure out a way to to get away. Um, But it's hard. It's hard for a variety of reasons. But We need help on it. So Suzanne Deggs-White is joining us on the phone. She is the author of the book Toxic Friendships, Knowing the Rules and Dealing with the Friends Who Break Them. She is also um, uh, uh, president of the Association for Adult Development and Aging and um, also is a professor and chair of the Counseling, Adult, and Higher Education Department at Northern Illinois University. Suzanne Deggs-White, thanks for being back here with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Matt.
2: This really is a it's a it's a touchy situation because toxic relationships uh, we all get we need to get away from but some of us can't shake off a toxic relationship we yeah, struggle can, with it.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really tough thing. Um, and also sometimes you need to figure out is this friend in need of emotional um, counseling? Yeah, help. Per- yeah, really need professional help. And if that's the case you might need to ask other friends or family members of that friend to help you kind of intervene and, and help address the problem um, and interviewing um People about the toxic friendships. Uh, more than one person mentioned that they were driven to getting a protective order against some friends who were mm. looking for vengeance against them. So it, you know, ending relationships in this day and age can be kind of. I mean, it can be a tricky situation. Yeah. But you've got to put your own emotional well-being. You've got to. You've got to weigh the worth of what you're bringing to any relationship against what you're getting from it. And if you have to go to extreme measures, you need to seek the support of those who understand you and can offer you. You, instrumental and emotional support.
2: I mean, toxic means, you know, Poisonous. killing you, dead, yeah. deadly to you. So if yeah. it is what it is. If it's toxic, you, you do. And I mean, you, I see this a lot with the people I work with that are married and divorcing and they're in a toxic relationship and, right. and you know, they'll go to some of these extreme measures, but some won't. And then they yeah. just kind of stay in that codependent, dysfunctional, right. hectic set, world. Set
0: up for a while because it's, sometimes it's easier, you know, to deal with what you know than to try to create a new pattern and sometimes our friends have created patterns with us and that's when we've got to you know say I can't play this role for you it's when you realize you're you know you're you're being someone that doesn't feel comfortable being for that friend yeah um and then you do have to find ways you know to kind of back up and remove yourself and the most important thing to do is to remember that you should flavor your honesty with um compassion and kindness when you're trying to break up a friendship yeah um, we can't. It's kind of like the gratitude list. I, I, in the book, I talk about creating a gratitude list for your friendship, not to necessarily share with your friend or the friend you feel you need to detoxify your life from, but to kind of recognize that every relationship will bring us some kind of gift. Mm -hmm. And it may be a gift of self-awareness and self-knowledge. It may be appreciation for the time you spent with someone when you needed someone, and your own standards may have been lower because you were coming out of a bad friendship or a bad relationship. So being aware of what someone gave to us, being compassionate about this person, and bringing honesty and the message that. You know, this this just isn't working for me at this point in my life.
2: It could it's, be that, couldn't it? It could be that the hardest – the thing you the thing you love about the friend, like, oh, I love that they're so strong and bold, yeah. is the same reason they're toxic for you.
0: Absolutely. You, you know, just need
2: a little dose.
0: Yeah, a strength can turn into a weakness. You know, someone who makes you feel needed, you know, I'd like to feel needed. You probably like yeah. to feel kind of human that people can make us feel good, oh, you're there when I need you. But when they need us at 2 (laughs) a.m., two or three days a week, or in the middle of a work day, then being needed suddenly it loses a little bit of its um, cachet. So true. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, and that's what we like about them, how they make us feel. Or they're the, they're the life of the party. Well, maybe they're the life of the party, but now you need to change your way of living because you're, you have a baby on the way. Or if you've been, you know, engaging in, you know, if you would, if you'd go out and party and you realize this isn't healthy for you, then suddenly the things you love turn into the things that drag you down. Yeah.
2: It seems like as as we do this, as we're trying to break up or we're figuring and sorting it through, a lot of us are afraid to end something that we've invested so much into.
0: Right, right. And that's when you kind of, you know, there are a few questions, you know, kind of I call it on the fence, friends, because you're not sure, you know, should I take this step or should I see how things play out? But it, the first question, you know, what are you getting from the friendship now? You know, is it, what what do you what is it? What value does it have to you? Is it sentimental value? Is it um, the hope that one day you know the friend's going to be there when you need them? Is it I have no other friends, I need this friend in my life? But then the second question is, what is the emotional debt that I'm incurring by allowing this relationship to continue? Mm. You know, we you know like the benefits and costs. You know, there's benefits to every friendship, but there are also costs. And, again, we go back to that economic scenario because we're, you know, relationships where civilization developed because we were able to form relationships with other people and develop rules, codes of behavior – and when suddenly the, what I'm p- putting into the the friendship pot is you know is taking everything I've got and there's no return no you know maybe the return I I tolerate your bad sense of humor because you're always there to listen when I need you right no right you, you know kind of no, no I, I, I give and take yeah yeah I, I, yeah
2: but you know I'm in here. the end if you're ahead or behind that's I guess why economically if you had an advisor that was and you could look at the numbers and say look I've lost four thousand dollars with you over the last five years this isn't worth it to me but in relationships we don't ever make that accounting do we we it's so emotional
0: yeah it it is emotional and and i think emotional as you as you showed that you know the the feeling isolated that's 15 cigarettes a day Mm -hmm. well you know but if i'm they've shown too research has shown that bad relationships are worse then no relationships, but oh, the emotional yeah. toll that if we're, if we're, if, you know, when you come home distressed or you, or you feel like, you know, you're, when you're living in that high anxiety state, then that can take a greater toll on blood pressure on, you know, just all, every system of the body. And so sometimes saying, I've got to be alone for a while is what I need to do to kind of recover and looking at it as a temporary, you know, thing, I'm I'm letting this friendship go to make room for a better friendship.
4: Hmm.
0: We kind of have to keep, you know, keep that attitude that we're making choices that make sense for us physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. There are a lot of different um, areas of wellness and health, you know, the different models of wellness. And when one is out of balance, every other, you know, of our systems kind of goes out of balance along with that. Oh,
4: yeah. And we really have
0: to, and social needs are probably, you know, one of the strongest needs we ever, you know, basic hunger, I mean, things like that, of course, but the need to connect is so strong, but if it's our connections that are causing us grief, then we really need to care enough about ourselves to rethink, reconfigure our relationships.
2: Uh, Again, we're speaking with Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White, and she's recently just published, last week, in fact. The book called Toxic Friendships, Knowing the Rules and Dealing with the Friends Who Break Them. And uh Suzanne, is it um h- how do we go about the breakup? So if I've if I've kind of gone through the process, identified what the how this friend is is impacting me, I've decided it's just in my best interest to move away from this friendship or to limit some of my connection with them. How do I go about agreeably ending it?
0: Yeah, well, the- the first step is being honest and open with communication, um, as hard as that is. But when you're honest and open, you bring that compassion and let the person know that you valued what they've brought to your life. And then, you know, sometimes you have to own, you know, using I statements. I really feel like I don't have a choice when we spend time together. I really find myself doing things I wish I didn't do. or I was really hurt when I needed you that night and you couldn't be there for me. Yeah. So you, it's it's just like couples communication classes. You really need to be honest, open, and own your feelings. Um, you don't want to uh, blame your friend or shame your friend. And that's really important, um, you know it's funny we our dean here has always had the no shame no blame rule uh-huh. because when you shame someone or blame them for something then it puts them on the defensive and it builds a fire of negativity between the two of you and so being really you know being aware of what you're sharing and owning all of that um avoiding passive aggressiveness you know, I don't realize, I, I don't guess you realize how mean you are. You know, that's not, yeah. you know, <laughs> no, yeah. don't say that. Um, you The message, like if you're not sure, if you're trying to mend, but you feel like you can't, I miss the way things used to be between us. Hmm. I miss how we were back before such and such happened. Um, but if, they, if you feel like it's not going to be like that again, then what you need to do is acknowledge the benefits you've received, express appreciation for that person, weigh your words carefully, and say, you know, for right now, we just can't be friends. And, you know, it's hard. If you have friends of convenience, people you see every day, you might have to be the one who takes a different bus, who gets coffee at the different yeah. place, who goes to a different YMCA Zumba class. Um, if it's your activity friends, well, maybe you're not going to go jogging the same path each morning. You've got to be aware that when you shift a relationship, you've got to be able to shift your own way of living because you're making you know, a, a huge change. And when you when you stop going to the 5 o'clock aerobics class or spin class and you go to 6 o'clock, well, there's a whole new set of friends yeah. who you can make from that point.
2: Well, and it's your health. So it's like yeah. if, if, if you don't want secondhand smoke and – they're not going to stop smoking you're the one that's going to have to move and i guess it's inconvenient however you're going to feel better
0: you're going to feel better yeah you're going to feel better and that's you know i think that's the hard part as a counselor people don't like change Mm -hmm. because change is hard it's the hardest thing we face but if you when you get when people are motivated enough to begin letting go of a relationship of a friendship then you've got them at a point then you're at a point where you are ready to put your own needs and your own self-worth above that of another person yeah and that's you know people reading this book i think the, the the last few chapters are really kind of exercises for you to reflect on is it time for you to end the relationship how do you want to end the relationship and what do you want to take away from the relationship
2: so you can't just you know be mad at them and then move your entire family to another state yeah, that's just that's, not healthy
0: no that's not healthy and that that's a difficult situation um i one woman i interviewed said that it took a natural disaster a forest Ugh. fire out in the west her she lost her house but she said it took her out of that neighborhood and she felt like nothing else was going to get her out of a negative relationship with a neighbor and it took it took a natural disaster and i'm thinking whoa that's extreme but relationships can be that intense, and then you we have to recognize that, you know. And I think I think once you've been in a close relationship that you've wanted to end, you do have compassion for others, and you do you're able to to make more awareness of raise your own awareness of what's in your own best interest. Yeah, yeah. What makes you feel good?
2: Well, and and I think taking charge of your life and your happiness, just I mean, succeeding at being able to eliminate a toxic relationship would. Um, in and of itself just it seems like it empower you because you're doing you're moving on and you're you're helping yourself
0: that's that's absolutely true you, have, you know it empowers you it makes you feel better but like breaking up with a partner it's also going to be rough for a yeah. while and I, you know we kind of have to recognize that when you break up a relationship it's not always easy you may lose mutual friends in the breakup um but as time passes, everything gets easier, and when you open yourself up to the potential for new relationships, you begin you stop obsessing about what you lost, you stop obsessing about the bad exchanges, and you really are our brain is able to move in a future direction, which is which is a wonderful gift that we're programmed to let go of bad things yeah. as we move through life.
2: Do you, um, When you look at it, I guess it's important to realize, too, that I can't control how they're going to respond to me breaking up.
0: No, you can't. You can't control. And so one thing, you want to make sure that you weigh your words carefully. So when your friend goes on Twitter or goes on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram, whatever technology to be aware that the things you say or the things you shared with her – may now be put out into the public domain. Um, and so to be really aware of that, so being careful not to say things that you don't want to be misconstrued, and being aware that that might happen. You yeah. know, if, 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 a fr- if you have a mutual group of friends, you might want to let your friends know that, you know, um, Susie and I are really having to kind of get some space now. And, you know, if we show up at the same event, I want everyone to know it might be a little awkward for all of us. But, But, you know, we're getting past it. Let's move forward. But I just wanted to kind of clear the air before the event happened Mm. and laying out, you know, kind of laying the groundwork first and being aware you don't know how your friend will react or what she might say. That's when you just have to let go of looking to others for approval and knowing what you're doing is in your own best interest and walking the path you feel comfortable walking.
2: You have to really do the work ahead of time to get to make sure this is the right decision.
0: Yeah, because there there may be hard work and it may and there it you know, there is loss. Losing a friend, you know, you, you see people and you might they look down, you look like you've lost your best friend. Yeah. That's how important friends are. They're part you know it's, it's just kind of that idea. Kids 2 years old can tell you their best friend. That concept is built very early in life and when you lose a friend it being aware that it's not going to be easy i think like i said the last few chapters of the book help lay it out and give you some here's what happened to this person or here's kind of a worst case scenario so that kind of normalizes what you might experience yourself yeah and uh, and People, you yeah, know, well, people get it. People know what it's like to have, you know, crazy friends or, yeah, I mean, we uh-huh. kind of understand that because I think we've all gone through that. Been there,
2: done that, yeah.
0: Yeah, been there, done that, yeah, and, and still see, you know, and still can read about myself on Facebook uh, That's right.
2: See. I actually tend to be the crazy friend.
0: Well, there you go, Matt. You bring joy to a lot <laughs> of people, just... and I bet people put up with your craziness. Well,
2: they do, except it. I don't have any friends, so yeah. <laughs> um, it's a sad, sad day. Well, Suzanne, we appreciate you. That really is some, I think, powerful insight, and I can't— uh, Recommend more to this book. Go check out uh, the book by Suzanne Deggs White. It's called Toxic Friendships Knowing the Rules and Dealing with the Friends Who Break Them. You can also go look her up on Psychology Today. So just look up Psychology Today and Suzanne Deggs, D E G G E S, hyphen White. Uh, she's a great resource there. Has some wonderful um, blog entries there about relationships and mother daughter. I mean, you name it. All types of uh, topics. Just a great resource. Suzanne wife, uh friends. They don't have to suck the life out of you. They can, they should be additive and, and helpful. And at times, you need to take charge of them and make sure they're not costing you your longevity. We'll take a break. Come back, wrap this subject up, uh, do a little Coach's Corner. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, don't you? And when it comes to toxic relationships, there's just a point in time where you need to just cut your losses. And that sounds horrible, except if it's costing you and you've done the cost analysis, right, and you've weighed the costs. Uh, You remember the old adage, you know, we, what is it, we measure Twice, we cut once. So you might even want to measure five times. Cut once. But do the evaluation and sit down as we were just taught and make an assessment. How is this person, how do you feel about yourself after you are with them? Do you feel more drained? Do you feel more exhausted? One of the ways I know that a relationship might be toxic for me is if I see him pulling up in front of my house, for example, and I immediately have a visceral reaction like, Ugh! Ugh! no, and I start having this emotion and I, I'm doing everything I can. Tell him I'm not here. I'm dead. I'm gone. Um, That's telling you something. Now, you don't do that because you're healthy. But we all have people that take us Just take what they can out of us. The other thing, though, that I loved uh, that Suzanne brought up but is, to me, core to all of this is I also have to be true to the character side and my own um, competency side. Most of the people, you know, that if you're struggling with getting rid of a toxic friend or if you're struggling being a friend and you don't even know you're toxic – we, we want to make sure that we balance the character, the integrity, the honesty of being a good person, living your own values, your, your, your belief system, following your conscience, and uh, being a competent person at knowing how to say what needs to be said. So many times I think the reason there are toxic friendships are because there's toxic people, and these toxic people don't always get the feedback they need. Now, you would think after losing 44 friends that this person would get it. The problem is the loss of 44 friends with somebody that doesn't get it anyway, they may not be getting the point. So maybe there is a way that you could still care about the person and let them go. Notice the word and. And makes it so it's not either or. But just be able to express to them, you know what, this isn't working for me. I feel, I feel like I, I'm losing myself in the relationship a little bit, and I'm going to take a break from our friendship for a while. And it doesn't mean I don't love you or care for you, and it doesn't mean you haven't been a good friend for me. I just need space to figure out me. And then go take your space. But if you don't have the competency to do that, then you're probably going to get stuck in more and more of these toxic relationships. And if you don't have the character to do it with integrity, then you're just going to go away hating this person because you didn't show integrity with them. So in the end, you want to balance character and competency, which together create trustworthiness, right? So trustworthiness is what makes you a good friend, It doesn't mean you need to just keep taking it with people and just keep letting them walk all over you. You can't do that. And you also don't need to hate somebody. You don't need to, you know, be so disgusted by that friendship that was so toxic and bad. Because otherwise, you may as well just stay with your friend if you're going to continually the rest of your life keep having bad feelings towards this person. Why not just stay with them? If you're going to have bad feelings with them or without them, then the problem isn't your friend anymore. Because if you've broken up with them and you're still mad at them, the problem's obviously you. So make sure when you're trying to deal with a toxic friend that you do it with enough integrity and character that you don't have to pay the price. You don't want to become toxic because you deal with toxic people. So that's one of the big just challenges I'd leave with all of us today. Don't become toxic because they are. Don't ever take the lead of the most relationally jacked up person in the room. If they're toxic, don't be toxic as a way to get away from them. Makes sense? Character, folks, it lifts everything, and it makes it so you don't have to suffer the pain of this the rest of your life. If you are going to cut off a relationship, your character could lead the way. It could also bring the light. It's Coach's Corner. Thanks for joining us. We'll take a break. A whole new hour, new insights, new ideas up next on the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your
1: guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU
1: Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning,
2: friends. Top of the morning to you or near afternoon for you on the East Coast. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt, your guide on the side. This is the program where we uh, give you the tools, the ideas you need to live longer, to love stronger, and to lead the people you're with. You know, we live in a day and age where you can't just follow everybody's lead. And today we've got a great uh, uh, lineup, a great guest coming up. Dr. Mark Goulston will be joining us. And he's going to be teaching us uh, lessons, really, from Steve Jobs, right? The great Apple innovator. uh, And um, I think one man that has changed recently, probably changed the most lives uh, technologically. But he's also, boy, Steve Jobs was a tough dude. A lot of people didn't like him. And so uh, we're going to be talking with Dr. Mark Goulston about the genius of Steve Jobs and how maybe um, being a little disruptor might kind of go a long way, how you might be able to persuade people using some of the, the tricks, I guess, gifts of Steve Jobs and, uh, and see if it can't help you a little bit down the road. So we'll be getting into that a little bit later how to think like a disruptor which is it's an easy idea for some people that's just all that's the only way they think is as a disruptor but uh life it's not it's not an easy deal so what i didn't tell anybody this crazy story but we were driving to the airport to pick up my son car full of my family busy traffic middle of the rush hour and i get pulled over <laughs>
3: You did not share that.
2: I got pulled over. And uh, I'm like, what? I wasn't even doing anything wrong. And I'm like, get your seatbelts on. (laughs) Actually, everybody had them on. Except one of our seatbelts doesn't work because one of my children got trapped in a seatbelt and was, uh, according to my wife, on the verge of death. So the next best thing when a child is trapped in a seatbelt... I would have said, wait for dad. And it was like 10 in the morning. So he would have had to wait like eight hours. (laughs) But he was fine.
3: Why do you cut it off?
2: So she cut it off. So we're sitting there. We call it the death seat. There's one seat in our car that just, if you choose to sit there, you're dead. If if you're one of my kids, you usually don't choose to sit there. You put your friends there. That's how low we are. But uh, we get pulled over, busy freeway, cops, uh, great guy, wonderful highway patrolman. And you know how you really, I don't know if you are this way, but I'm super cordial. Like I'm their best friend. Officer, hey. how are you? And um, it's either that or I just start crying, but that never works for me. <laughs> I, I, hear, I hear a lot of women do that, but I can't pull that off. And out of nowhere, um, he's like, you know, why I pulled you over. And I'm like, no. Uh, did you know that your car expired, your expiration on your car? It's, it's expired. And I'm like, what? I really had no idea. It's not even my car. It was my wife's car. And and he's like, yeah, about, I don't know, about five months ago. Wow. And I looked at her like, oh, you're going to pay. <laughs> and he goes, really? I just saw that you had a, a a backlight out. And then I got closer and your registration's expired. Yeah, Great. so you got to take care of that. And is everyone seat belted? And he sticks his head in and he's looking at my child in the death seat. And he's like, no. He's like, pal, why isn't your seatbelt on? And he's like, well, my brother was dying. <laughs> And we had to cut him out. He he almost died. His his lips were purple. And um, I'm just shaking my head like I'm dead. Anyway, so.
3: On the way to one of the greatest days. Greatest days of my life. Right, yeah. Wow.
2: And I was so numb, it didn't matter. I didn't even care. (laughs) Like, whatever. (laughs) Give me a ticket. I don't even care. So, uh, you know, good days, bad days, they all go hand in hand. It's just just how life works. So no ticket? No ticket. No, I got three fix-it tickets like a list of a litany of things that need to be fixed. And they'll all the tickets will be done away with if we just get it done. So now it's just getting it done. That's the hard part. And we got to go pay $5,000 for a seatbelt probably. I mean, that crazy state makes a law government makes a law. Chevy's like, Whoa, we can soak people on this. Let's get a seatbelt. That's going to cost 300 bucks. So I've just like tried to duct tape my kids in. Not the same. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Anyway, that's uh, let's go to the headlines, though. Kathy Akins, who's never had a ticket in her life.
3: Never. The Supreme Court this morning upheld the use of a controversial drug that's been implicated in several botched executions. The sedative midazolam was used in executions last year that took longer than usual to work. The 5-4 vote approves the drug's use in executions without violating the Eighth Amendment prohibiting cruel and unusual punishment. Also this morning, in a 5-4 decision, the court struck down the EPA's mercury and air toxic standards. The regulations had controlled mercury emission from power plants. Following the high court's decision on Friday making same-sex marriage legal in the U.S., hundreds of thousands of people across the country packed gay pride events over the weekend. Meanwhile, GOP presidential contender Senator Rand Paul says the government shouldn't oversee marriage at all, saying marriage should be a local issue. The Sleepy Hollow wildfire in Wenatchee, Washington, is burning out of control today. The blaze which was sparked yesterday has burned through 1,800 acres and destroyed at least a dozen structures. Evacuation orders were Given to residents of nearly 80 homes in the fire's path. The fire is being fueled by high winds and high temperatures. The three week manhunt for the prison escapees has finally come to an end. On Friday, Richard Matt was shot and killed, and yesterday, David Sweat was shot and wounded near the Canadian border. New York State Trooper saw Sweat jogging, and when he tried to stop him, Sweat took off towards the forest. Uh, Lieutenant Cook shot Sweat twice in the torso. Sweat's mother, Pamela, spoke out after her son's arrest.
4: Oh, no. My son knows if people would came here, I would have knocked him out and had them guys take him to jail by themselves because that's just the way I am. I've always done it to him when he was
3: bad. Sweat was airlifted to a hospital where he's listed in critical condition. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo calling Jay Cook... A hero. Another shark attack happened yesterday in Outer Banks in North Carolina. The second attack in as many days and the sixth in just two weeks. The 18-year-old victim is listed in serious condition. Some experts are blaming the rise in attacks to shark fishing in the area. Others say the number is just the fact more people are in the water since it's summer. And Matt, I know we talked in the last hour about your upcoming road trip yeah. this summer. Yeah? yeah. Well, I know it didn't include New England, but after this, you may want to head Let's over see. there. Okay.
2: It's also not including North Carolina.
3: Exactly. right yeah you don't don't get in the water don't, <laughs> don't go get swimming in the water. no okay mcdonald's they're serving lobster roll at participating New England restaurants, so the roll is made Nick, from one hundred percent North Atlantic lobster, mm. and is stuffed into a toasted roll with lettuce and mayo, all for the low, low price, maybe not low for fast food, seven ninety nine, and just two hundred ninety calories.
2: I would so do not, that. Not too fatty. Ooh, that sounds bad. good. But, you
3: know, I love it when they say one hundred percent North Atlantic lobster. I mean, instead of saying like eighty percent and twenty yeah. percent filler, you know, yeah, yeah you, it's yeah. always good when they say that one hundred percent makes you feel a whole lot better. Well,
2: it's just you got to ask what part of the. Lobster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something's got to make well, I was up. I always
3: hope there's no shell in there anywhere, Yeah, there's right? got
2: to be a filler. But the, uh, that's interesting because it's, you know, the McRib.
3: Right. Which um, is, like, not even close to a rib, but okay. No. It looks like <laughs> Actually, one.
2: Actually, but... as far as the cow is concerned, it was nowhere near its rib cage. <laughs> it's just... But they can't I say... Like how they make it look yeah. like
3: one. You know, with those little markings that make it look like a well, rib. Well, but
2: you can't call it the McSpine.
3: No, it doesn't that would, sound no, that as wouldn't good. be so tasty. The you know. McRump.
2: <laughs> Rump <laughs> roast is good, though. No, it's really good. Yeah, it could be really good. Yeah. But it doesn't <laughs> sound real good, yeah. The McTail. <laughs> M- McHook? <laughs> That's so gross. But I would eat the lobster, oh, McLobster. Oh, sure, yeah. That sounds yeah, great. doesn't that sound awesome? I mean, they already have a filet of fish you know.
3: Yeah, I'm not a fan of the filet of
2: fish But I'm pretty sure it's a fish. Tastes right? fish. It's definitely it, fishy tasty. It's fishy.
3: Yeah, but I have never heard the 100% fish. Fish.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. They probably so won't here give though. You that. They've
3: made it clear it's a hundred percent North Atlantic lobster. But would lobster. would you
2: would you go to McDonald's throw down eight bucks from McLobster Lobster at McDonald's if you lived in
3: in that area in that
2: area? I mean, they, you can go get lobster, or Anywhere. you can go get crab cakes and lobster kind of everywhere. But have, eight bucks is probably a good deal.
3: Yeah, the best. I think it was crab. I think it was crab. I had. Back when I was covering the Utah Jazz, we're playing Boston back there, and I mean, literally, you're sitting there, and they mm. just they just got it right out of the ocean. Awesome, Is that best great? thing I've ever had. Yeah, it was fantastic, and I think you got two for twenty dollars. Yeah, it was incredibly cheap.
2: Yeah, and but you and, could uh, get yeah. two McLobsters for
3: fifteen bucks. Fifteen bucks.
2: Yeah. Would exactly. you? I guess you wouldn't even need fries.
3: No, that's probably filling. That's probably filling enough.
2: But uh, hmm. I think they ought to throw that out here. I mean, I would eat because in I don't Utah, know, by the
3: time it got here, I'm not sure it would be super fresh. But you well, know, you get—I I mean,
2: it. Utah, there are there's no lobster. You nope. could get the McBride shrimp. It's just not the same. <laughs>
3: that would probably not taste exactly the same. Not the same. That's what I'm thinking. Hmm. That's a good idea, though, That's Matt. A great you should idea. Check into that. I'm going. Oh, I think God, I'll head up. It, uh,
2: head up northeast. Get myself a lobster, Mclobster. Interesting stuff folks. Uh, coming up next, Mark Gulston's going to be joining us and he is uh, he's, he's a, a professor and an expert in um, all things, kind of business and psychology. the mix of psychology in the marketing world. He's uh, going to be teaching us today about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs uh, had this incredible ability to get you to want something that you didn't even, they didn't have to sell you on it. He just made it so tempting and understood you so well, you would just buy it. You'd buy it without even thinking about it. We're going to be learning some of the steps for uh, finding and creating products that really excite people with Dr. Mark Goulston up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you look around your, your, you know, your work site, your home, right now you can probably find an Apple product of some sort, whether it's an iPod, a Mac computer, an iPhone, whatever you got, it's there. And what made it so uh, interesting is Steve Jobs, he had a way to create products, and just the way he thought, uh, he so, I think, understood what people Maybe not even what we wanted, but he got us to believe we wanted it. And so if you could sit down as a business owner, as an employee, and learn to think like Steve Jobs, would you be willing to go after that? What And what would you want to know? What would you want to learn? Well, joining us today is Dr. Mark Goulston, uh, the people hacker, they call him. And he has a four-step formula to finding out what really excites and delights people, He has degrees from UC Berkeley, Boston, UCLA, more than 30 years experience as a nationally recognized psychiatrist and a UCLA professor. He's also a business consultant, and he's here to teach us how to think like Steve Jobs. Dr. Goulston, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
7: I'm very pleased to be on, Matt. Thank you.
2: Great to have you. Talk to us. I mean, Steve Jobs, you either loved him or you hated him, but you couldn't question his ability to get you to buy stuff.
7: Absolutely. And uh, when I talk about him and think like him, I I talk about thinking like the genius of Steve Jobs, not the other side of him that uh, could be difficult. (laughs) Uh, uh, Although one comment I am realizing is the clearer your vision of something that is yours for the taking, the more impatient and intolerant you become with people. Yeah,
2: that's true, because you know what you want
7: yeah in fact, it's interesting because I've written a number of books having to do with people and understanding them. but since I've come upon this formula for Steve Jobs and it is so clear and I'm getting such a good response, I've become more impatient with people <laughs> i mean i can I can see it, and I'm trying to be a good sport, but when you see something clearly that is yours for the taking, yeah you know, you, you feel compelled to do that. Uh, Something else someone had asked me in a prior interview about Steve Jobs uh, that that I thought that that came out of the interview that I thought was they thought was fascinating and I did too. I said, you know, Steve Jobs was invited everywhere because he was uh, bold, he was brazen, and towards the end of the career he became a certifiable genius, Mm -hmm. but he didn't belong anywhere. He was a real outlier, and what he belonged to was the future. Hmm. And because he outsmarted himself, he didn't get to live into the future. But oh. he, he was able to bond to the future that none of us could see, and that's what I want to help you.
2: Oh, that's question. great. That's true, though. Huh? He really didn't. He didn't belong except for what was coming out next.
7: Right, right. And 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 the the backstory of the Steve Jobs thing is I. I speak at uh, digital media conferences, and, and uh, last year I spoke to nine executive, CEO tech healthcare roundtables, and <clears throat> and initially uh, I spoke on communication because I have a book called Just Listen, which became the top book on listening in the world. Huh. I'm, I'm kind of humbled by well, that. Oh, that's great. But, well, it was great. But what I realized is these these CEOs and entrepreneurs they wanted to be listened to. They didn't they didn't really care about listening. And so uh, I said to the organizer, you know, I'm tired of trying to arm twist. I'm try- tired of trying to persuade people to do things that they need but they don't want. And I said, could I try a different talk? Because I figured if you can create what people got to have, you don't have to persuade them at all. Right. And so I presented that talk, and someone, the CEO, said, you just figured out the secret of Apple. And I said, ooh, that's good. <laughs> And, then, and I got all five ratings. I've never gotten that in my yeah. life. And then the next time I gave it, someone said, you just figured out Steve Jobs. I uh, said, ooh, that's even better. Yeah. And then someone said, you need to, you need to watch something called The Lost Interview, which was uh, done in the mid-'90s. And Steve Jobs was a little bit humble. And I watched it, and there was a one-minute video. Uh, when I do my presentations now, I said, I think Steve Jobs is talking about the moment he went from a hustler to visionary. And what he talks about is when he visited Xerox Park and discovered the mouse, the graphical user interface. Yeah. And, in that, and in that one minute, and I tell audiences, I say, see if you can see the four steps and in that one minute. He said, when we got there, they showed me three things. I didn't even notice two of the things. And he mentioned what those were. He said, the only thing I noticed was the graphical user interface. That's step one. And the second thing he said was, it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. That's step two. And then he said, you know, they had some flaws, and it wasn't all right, but they had the essence of uh, how it worked. That's step three. And then the final thing he said in that one minute, he said, within ten minutes, I knew that all computers would run that way. And so when I go to the audiences and then I give them other experiences that would would validate this, the four steps are, and what I like about this is people remember them without even writing them down. Yeah, Uh, Four steps are, whoa, I didn't even notice the other things. I just noticed the uh, graphical user interface. And what whoa means is you're, you're... Buzzing along, <clears throat> being distracted, maybe you have ADD, maybe you have something on your mind, and whoa means you just, you see something, you say, I can't believe what I just saw.
4: Mm.
7: Or you say, think, I just heard something, I can't believe what I just heard, and then the wow was, uh, it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life, and so... Uh, the woe is, I can't believe what I see or heard. Yeah. Wow is when you feel astonished, delighted, or amazed, or fascinated. It breaks through whatever our mindset is. So if you bring your child or your grandchild to Disneyland, and
4: <laughs> yeah. uh, and,
7: and for that, and you see them, the, the expression on their face when they see Disneyland, you have to be almost dead inside to not astonished and amazed by that. So that's the wow.
2: The wow factor. Cool.
7: And then the hmm is uh, this is too good not to use. There's something in this. And when he said, you know, they had it right. They uh, had some flaws. That was the hmm phase. And then the final thing is yes. Uh, which is when you find out what to do with it. And when he said within 10 minutes I knew that all computers would run this way. And something to keep in mind, and I think Another way that Steve Jobs looked at the future is to realize that what we're passionate about often doesn't matter to other people who just want to use something. They just want the bottom line. And I think what Steve Jobs recognized about technology is it was ugly, it was complicated, and it was unreliable. And and he said, if I could build something that was beautiful... Reliable and simple, people would just flock mm-hmm. to it. And and I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, is that cause sometimes we get passionate about what, t- what we're talking about, but for people outside, they often mainly care about how to use it.
2: And- yeah, kind of how it impacts them, huh? Like, yeah. it's about them. They This isn't working for me.
7: Absolutely. I... I, I, I I did a teleconference with uh, some CEOs uh, after a conference I spoke at on communication on Just Listen, and after three months, there was about ten people on the call, after three months, I said to them, um, I just realized something. You want me to tell you what to do. You have no desire to understand how or why communication works, and everybody on the phone call said, absolutely. <laughs> And I said, but if you don't understand how it works, if you try one thing, you're going to be up a creek without a paddle. Yeah. And they said, Mark, we'll take our chances.
2: We'll risk it.
7: We'll risk it. And I said, so why do you let me go on the way I do? And they said, Mark, we like you and you seem to be enjoying it.
2: You're having so (laughs) much fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? It is. It is. They, they, the people will let you just keep going, but really what they want is just tell me what to do Tell me exactly how to do this easy
7: yeah you have, you know you, you have credibility you're an expert, so we respect your expertise and uh, and what you come up with is stuff we wouldn't have thought of that can help us and so just tell us what to do and, mm. and I think that's what Steve Jobs' view of technology was is just uh, just make it simple, reliable and beautiful, so we don't hide, have to
2: hide the thing. I love it. We're talking with Dr. Mark Goulston, uh, the, um, the author of the book, Just Listen. But do you have a book on the Gotta Have It idea? Uh, you have well, a new book coming out in October, right?
7: Yeah. There's a backstory to everything. So my, my next book is called Talking to Crazy, oh. How to How to Deal with Irrational and Impossible People. And it's up at Amazon, and uh, for bloggers and writers, I can send them something called a net galley, because some people, what I've discovered is just listen to my former book, Get Out of Your Own Way. Those are, people that, those are books that people needed, but a lot of people in a rush don't want to get out of their own way. Right. A lot of, they want other people to get out of their way, and people who are in a rush need to listen, but they don't necessarily want to. And all the reviews at Amazon... What's very uplifting is about a quarter of them, people are saying, uh, this really helped me in my life. This helped me not only in business, but with my family and my children. And so the, the natural extension after you, when you listen to people, people open up. But a lot of the interviews for Just Listen were, okay, after I get people to open up, a lot of them are nutty.
4: They're they, crazy. They drive me crazy. <laughs> That's true.
7: And so I wrote this book, Talking to Crazy, and I went to the publisher, which is uh, Amacom, the uh, AMA's communication publication. On, and I, I did a, uh, we were talking about how to promote talking to crazy. And I said, and I used the Steve Jobs formula. And they said, why don't you write a book on that? Just send us one page and we'll publish it. I said, because if I do that, I can't go back to talking to crazy. So <laughs> let me do the talking to crazy. Yeah. And by the way, People say to me, I got to have that one. I got to have that today. Oh, sure. Because we
2: all deal with crazy. Yeah, absolutely. We got to know how to talk to them. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Mark Goulston, um, who's got the book coming out, Talking to Crazy, and the book he had uh, completed, number one internationally best selling book on listening, Just Listen, Discover the Secret to Getting Through to Absolutely Anybody. When we come back, we're going to continue the discussion about. Uh, Steve Jobs, thinking like Steve Jobs, and and I want to dig into some of these ideas of whoa, wow, hmm, and yes, the four steps to, uh, to kind of find the mind of the genius Steve Jobs. More in a minute right here on The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you could think like Steve Jobs, and you're a business owner, and uh, or even, I mean, you just want to influence people. I guess it wouldn't even matter if you own a business or a product. You just want to not have to sit there and convince people all the time that what you're doing is right. Man, it would be great to be able to actually access that brain. And uh, our guest today, Dr. Mark Goulston, uh, has been researching and and has come up with a way that that maybe there is a way to get people to act on what you like or what you're presenting without you know having to to spend so much time trying to convince them overwhelmingly um it, it's very simple he's trying to help us think like Steve Jobs Dr. Mark Gulston welcome back to the show my friend
7: well, thank you my friend uh, uh, uh you know for people who want a more in-depth look at this thing i'm doing a webinar for the a public webinar for the conference board of canada on hmm. july 8th okay so if you go to conference board canada goulston steve jobs you'll find information on it it's uh, 2 p.m eastern time but uh, i get an hour
2: to, oh you to get to teach over. it for an hour
7: oh yeah and and, and actually it'll be uh, an expansion of what i've been teaching ceo groups so if people find this uh, fascinating, what is it, delightful, or whatever. They can get more of it if they uh, go to the well, good.
2: Conference Board of Canada. What we'll do, Mark, we'll go look up the link for that, and we'll put it on our Twitter page so that any of the listeners just go to Dr. Matt, at Dr. Matt Show, find uh, the link, and you can link right to it. That way they can follow you on that. Because, that, I mean, this does need more time than the little time we can give it. You've come up with, though, four basic phases or stages uh, that we need to be reaching if we want to to kind of think like Steve Jobs and create an impact like Steve. The whoa factor, the wow factor. I don't, you're not calling them factors. Whoa, wow, hmm, and yes. Just take us a little bit into into some of these. Um, which one you know matters the most, or do do they need to be in that order and and, and, yeah. and just walk us through it. A,
7: a woe is the most. And the reason being is that people are preoccupied. They're they're uh looking at their emails, they're they're texting, and you've created woe when you're speaking to someone and someone says, Can you say that again? Mm. Or if you're giving a talk and someone's uh tweeting, they sort of half hear it and they elbow the person next to them, What did he say? And uh like one of the things we've discovered, and tell me if you you can get this, uh, at the Goulton, if you go to goulstongroup.com, which is my company, yeah. uh, and there'll be a link to that, what we've discovered is that regular people, regular employees, uh, will do pushback about things like uh, big words, like vision, mission, culture, uh-huh. uh, because they're just worried about their job and what they got to get done today. And so what we've discovered is people who will be resistant to strategy, because it sounds like it's going to be a lot of work, will be, will be open to tools. So if you give people tools, there's the feeling, I could do this. Mm-hmm. So I think of the woe-woe, hmm, yes, as the gotta-have-it tool, as opposed to the gotta-have-it strategy. That's so can great. you see how that's, yeah. that's even a whoa wow? Oh, yeah. it's a tool. I I might not have to think so hard. I could probably do it. So so that's another example of a, a whoa wow. Uh, with my book, just listen. The AMA, the American Management Association, just created a two-day off-site course you know, on the secret to getting through to anybody, which is the subtitle. But the whoa is we're positioning it for newly merged companies. Because the idea is, how would you like to uh, hit the ground cooperating after a merger? So you send the top five people from company A and company B who are influencers, send them away for two days, get them to listen to each other, get them to bond on the de- night before or night between, hmm. and they're going to go back to the company saying, hey, the other company's not so bad, I just met five people. <laughs> that's right. And, and, and so that's a whoa-wow of... Uh, Oh wow, that, well, that makes sense. We we could do that instead of arm twisting. So, if you look for those elements, you can always uh you can always There's find... power.
2: Yes. I mean, there's I mean we can try to motivate them with a word like vision, but in the end I still think how do I operationalize vision? How do I go make that happen? But knowing there's a tool, I mean, that's it. It's just it's almost just giving me what I want, isn't it? When right. you know what I really want deep down, and a lot of this is just we want simple. We want it, like you said, beautiful, reliable, simple. Don't complicate my life by just teaching me a concept. Teach me exactly how to do it, or give me the tool, or something.
7: Yeah. Now I blog. You know, I blog all over the place: Harvard Business Review, yeah. Fast Company, Business Insider, Psychology Day. And one of my blogs was, I think, the six. I think it was the six words that your regular employees can't stand, <laughs> and those were vision, mission culture, values, strategies, goals. Uh, When I coach CEOs, I say, how often do you use the word goals? And they say, every meeting. I said, "Uh, how much of the people in your meeting salivate (laughs) wanting to sink their teeth into it? They say, what are you, crazy? Nobody. A quarter of them are texting. And I said, that's because CEOs are able to see into the future. So when you ask a CEO a goal, he can do that but the majority of people think in reverse. They wait for something to happen and they react. And so I say to CEOs, never use the word goals in meetings unless you have forward thinking people. Use the word outcome. Hmm. Because when people know, like an outcome is the end result, and people know that a good outcome is preceded by effective actions and a bad outcome by ineffective actions, and so if you were to, if you were to say what is the outcome uh, that we're trying to achieve from this uh from this meeting what is the outcome this year uh, it 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 aligns with the way people the majority of people think and they can say oh well, i, I yeah. uh, outcome and I'll reverse engineer that goal oh my god you're you're scaring me with that.
2: Yeah. See, Mark, this is the psychology in you. This is you being uh, an expert in how people, or the psychiatrist in you, you being an expert in how people think. Man, I wish we had more time. We've got to break. Um, but again, great work. Folks, go look up the books. Just listen. Just go to his website, com. G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, com. Years of psychiatry has gotten into how people think. So if you just keep spewing the same language, you're not going to be innovating anything. You're going to actually be putting everybody to sleep. Uh, A truly great resource. Also, though, um, just another way to think about it. That's one of the goals of the show is to give you another way to think about things. Again, go to the at Dr. Matt show. We'll have a link to that uh, other uh, presentation he's going to be doing up in Canada. We'll take a break, my friends. We come back, be talking to our friends at BYU Sports Nation. See what's going on in their neck of the woods. We'll be right back on BYU Radio. Get up, stand up.
0: Stand up for your right.
4: Get up, stand up. Don't
0: give up the
2: fight. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Little Bob Marley for you. As we head down uh, stairs to Studio B, our good friends down there at BYU Sports Nation. Today it's Spencer Linton. S- and sitting in for Jerem, Brian Logan. How are you, gentlemen?
6: We are fantastic. Happy You're Monday.
2: Happy Bob Marley Day.
6: Must be nice to be able to play whatever kind of music you want, huh? Oh,
2: you have no idea. <laughs> we just you sit up here whatever? and play yeah. music all day long.
6: Is that what you can do? You can play whatever you want.
2: Mm-hmm. Anything we want. Hmm. Except the Mormon Tabernacle Choir.
6: Why <laughs> would they be not allowed?
2: They're untouchable.
6: <laughs> so you could play like Lil Wayne if you
2: want to. <laughs> We could play Little Wayne, but we can't play. Uh, we can't play the mo- the <laughs> It's weird. It's that just is a
6: weird restriction. It's just a
2: protocol yeah. thing. It's okay, just so. no. We actually can. We could play it. I'm teasing. I'm hey, teasing. Hey, what'd
6: you do this weekend, Matt?
2: Uh, you know what? I had I had uh, a big date night where I taught about technology and how, it does, how, how to not let it destroy your marriage. Did that. Uh, oh, wow, okay. Two Ooh. big firesides or church speeches. I don't know what we call those. And I uh, had my son's homecoming address where he talked about his mission. I had a very busy weekend.
6: I was going to say, like, wow, you packed it into very one big weekend. Very
2: busy weekend. What did and you guys do?
6: Well, it's funny that you bring up the uh, the social media thing and it destroying your marriage because I told you last week my phone oh got yeah, you lost your in phone so insulted yeah. my wives um, Have we replaced them? We have replaced them, but in a weird way it's like I'm kind of bugged that I have it back.
2: <laughs> oh all right, yeah
6: case because when we were in Miami, like I was like, oh no, what are we going to do? Yep. And we went to eat, and the first couple of times we went to eat, like there was some awkward silence. each like I, just staring I literally at other. don't even know what to say to you, you right hearing? I have nothing to talk Are to you about right crickets? now. <laughs> <laughs> but then it got like normal because we didn't have phones, and so like it just became like the communication really ramped up, and we liked it. And then we set these rules, like okay, when we get our new phones back, that's it. We're not we're not going to do this. We're going to have like no phone time. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I, I would say do that with TV. Try doing it with the TV? Throw it in there, yeah. yeah.
2: You know what? You guys want some advice from the pro?
6: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I just gave that.
2: No, 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 no. Brett, Brett, (laughs) Brett. No, the real pro. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's the deal. I just... This is great new research. Get rid of your... Keep your cell phone. Get rid of all the stupid social media stuff. Get rid of all of that. Mm -hmm. Even the television. You can get rid of Netflix. Get rid of all of it. Just go to YouTube, though, and start watching cat videos. Oh, man. Because you know what? The latest research says that a cat video is actually positively good and affecting your your mood positively. (laughs) Participants in the study reportedly had fewer negative emotions such as anxiety, sadness, and annoyance after watching cat videos.
6: What about dog dog videos?
2: No, I don't think dogs. No, dogs make people anxious, nervous, and suicidal, and murderous. They're murderous. Blood, yeah, it's bad. It's are, bad. Are these real stats? Mm-hmm. So so this is gonna... show, this is totally this is a study oh, okay. from human be- computers and human behavior. But listen to this: mm-hmm. the pleasure that these people got from watching cat videos seemed to outweigh any guilt that they felt about procrastinating. Internet cat videos. There were more than two million cat videos posted on YouTube in 2014.
1: This got to be a joke. With
2: almost 26 billion views. <laughs> Be a joke. No, 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 Brian! Cat videos are the future oh of what mental health. What is wrong
6: health. with the society? It's all the, oh, the cat women, man. You know those. females that have it's, older ladies that have like ten cats. Do cat you
2: ladies? know? Do you know how big the laser pointer uh, cells have gone up since cat videos started? <laughs> Because now you use your little laser pointer to get your cat to dance.
6: You ever want to sell a cat? You just make sure you bundle a laser. <laughs>
2: you throw a laser pointer in there. You could sell cats right hey, out of the, the back BYU of the van. Do BYU
6: Cougars count as a cat? Yes, because we are here to raise your mood and make you feel better. We're Ooh. discussing.
2: Ooh, good segue. Nice. Great segue. I
6: know, right? That's, it's a stretch. That's a great segue. But it is technically a cat, right?
2: It's a big cat. A
6: cat okay. Cat you need a yeah. big
2: laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what? Are you guys still doing your show then?
6: Of course. About
2: the BYU Cougar I Cat?
6: You, I love that you ask us that question every day. We're still, <laughs> still doing it. It's because we always talk
2: about the dumb things, nah. and then we got to get to your nah. show, blah. We, so, we decided not to do it. Today. So, what, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the Cougar Cat?
6: Well, in a roundabout way, yes. Okay. We're, Let's get we're that. having some fun. Again, over the past five days, BYU has jumped into this Power 5 expansion talk mm-hmm. from a national perspective. Uh, a couple of Fox Sports guys and the USA Today guy uh, recently had like this blog podcast where they just discussed teams most viable to make it into a major conference. BYU is always in that conversation. Sure. So we're going to discuss the particulars of that podcast, but really we just want to have fun. And the discussion this morning was... If you could put BYU in any Power Five conference,
2: which one would you put them in? Ooh, and why? Well, if I, if you could put them in any one, you'd want the SEC just well, for fun. Do
6: you, do you want the SEC? Do you really no. want that?
2: No, sure. Are you do you really? It want will LSU pick you in Alabama. Yes. How fun would that be?
6: Yeah, It'd be fun, be fun <laughs> for about the first year until you go three. And Can nine. you
2: imagine? I know. But well, you know what? Can I mean, would love. But I want BYU fans to have what they want. Because what they want is to be treated with respect. Put them in the SEC, and then let the BYU fans really learn <laughs> <No. Mm-mm. laughs> what uh, a beatdown feels like. We
6: want Bama. No, you don't.
2: Can you imagine playing Bama every year?
6: Nope. No. I don't want that life. No, I <laughs> cannot imagine that. So what are you thinking? I Big 12? Well, I mean, you,
2: you can't tell us. Yeah, it's, it's an opinion poll is what yeah, you're Yeah, Brian, asking.
6: will give you his opinion. I'll give you mine. They are different. And I'll tell you this much. They're not. Either of our opinions are not the Big 12.
2: Really? So there you go. Yep. Yeah. Huh. You're right. Oh, pac, t- pac Twelve. Uh huh.
6: You have to listen to the show. pac Twelve, <laughs> dude. Oh, but we man. Don't have to say, But Brian and I don't have okay. the same opinion. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're not going to play in the SEC, let's go with the pac Twelve.
6: Okay. Not the Big Twelve.
2: Let's just 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 mark mine down. That's mine.
6: So there that's you go. That's right. a that's is great a show teaser for our show. And people are like, one person's like, stop it! Don't even go there. No, that's cool. You're
2: toying with my emotions. Yeah. Like,
6: we're just having some fun today. It's, you know ju- what? it's June 30th. Promise it's me this, though.
2: You'll throw this out. Yes. Promise that if you're going to tease people's emotions with the Pac-12 or whatever, that you're going to also immediately direct them to a cat video on YouTube. <laughs> promise me you'll do that. People need peace. <laughs> and peace comes from the kitties.
6: I can't, I can't make that promise, you can just man. send
1: them to Jesus
6: Christ. I that, can that's make a promise great... that we will direct them to watch some BYU that's, cougar football. That's where you can get some peace. That's, right that's the only
2: real source for peace, exactly, Brian. Yes. Okay, well, have a good show, guys.
6: Yeah, we we will do that. It there sounds like be a doozy. And sounds and like cocaine. a
2: doozy. I'm gonna they're gonna start advertising. Cats are us are gonna start advertising on your show. I just found a <laughs> I just found somebody. Have fun, boys. Take care. Thank you, Doctor Man. Oh, that's cool. Right. Man. That's really cool. Yeah, I think BYU should go to the Pac twelve. Don't you think, Ben, I would go, because then it's in the West, tons of fan base in the West for BYU, and I could go to to USC games, I could go to UCLA games, I could watch the Ducks just try to take down a Cougar.
6: Well, I mean, and then they could play Utah State, right? Or University of
2: Utah. They'll play U of U again. Oh, yeah, that's my vote. My vote. I'm just putting that down right there. My vote is there we go. Uh, I still can't believe the cat video thing. That's just pathetic. Are people that into cats? To me, I don't get it. I'm also allergic to cats. So I have this visceral reaction. Whenever I see a cat, I also have a actual physical reaction. But um, honestly, are cat videos that healing? I'd love to hear uh, your opinion on that. Tweet us. At Dr. Matt Show. I want to see, are you really a big proponent of these cat videos? I mean, I get the fun of a laser pointer. That I get. Give me a laser pointer all day long, I could have fun. I mean, again, you don't shine it at airplanes. That's just stupid. But I don't need to sit there and watch a cat. One time I did sneak in and sneak up behind James, uh, our board op, and he was watching a cat video which was honestly better than the last thing I snuck up and saw him doing. You won't believe it. Last, the Before that, I snuck up, and he was actually on a bridal registry, <laughs> registering for his wedding. Mercy! I'd rather have a cat video. Hey, we always like to end the show with a hero of the day. Here's my hero of the day uh, today, State Trooper Doug Cropper and an emergency room nurse. Uh, Here's the story. Early Friday morning, which was on June 12th, a Portland State Trooper Doug Cropper pulled over a man for speeding on the highway. He talked with the man who seemed fine, but when he returned to the car to give the man his ticket, Officer Cropper found the man was not breathing. He quickly acted, pulling the man out of the vehicle and performing his sternum rub and beginning CPR. An emergency room nurse then pulled over to assist the officer, and together they were able to get the man's pulse to come back. When emergency crews arrived, they found the man breathing and standing on his own, but took him to the hospital where he was treated for a heroin overdose. Doctors say that the overdose would have been fatal had it not been for the quick response and actions of both the state trooper and the nurse. There you go, hero of the day. Man, seriously. The guy stood up? Now, I've done CPR on people. Not to brag, but... I've been an EMT, and I never saw somebody stand up after CPR. That's a pretty invasive uh, maneuver there. Um, So anyway, hero of the day, Doug Cropper and that emergency room nurse apparently wants to be anonymous. But uh, changing the world, folks. There's heroes everywhere. They're everywhere out there, and you too can be a hero, so remember that. Uh, Again, this is the, the Matt Townsend Show. We can't do the show without you. So join us uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. And uh, also you can find us on podcasts on iTunes or TuneIn or just go to byuradio.org to live stream us. There's always some way to find us. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until then, take care and make it a good one.